Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is Michael Adams of The Truth of Man's Journey. Find it. It is... September 23rd, 2015, the day when the Pope visited the White House. Maybe for Jesuit. Anyways, uh, good video came out in the past 21 hours. Uh, America, 2015, U.S. Uh, Pope Francis, New World Order, Final Warning, United Nations, U.S., Senate, Obama, not 666. As far as anything that may be suggested about a, a Sunday as being the mark of the beast, well, you have that choice. I think that it is greater than that. But <clears throat> let's do not rustle or, or let's do not uh, separate over our own understanding interpretation. One thing we do know is, is that the biblical historical prophetic uh, Antichrist is Rome, the, the Vatican, the papacy. And so we're going to, this gentleman, um, he's, you know, I know that he's pretty much got Seventh-day and that is kind of jet uh, bent to him. I don't agree with a lot of it, but the Seventh-day and it is bent part. But I do agree with the fact that uh, Rome, uh, uh, Roman Catholicism, the Jesuits, the papacy, the New World Order, it's their designs. And I think, for whatever it's worth, I needed a break as well. I've had a very busy day, and the MS is raging at me. So uh, I think, for whatever it's worth, we're going to. Um, Yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to listen to this. This guy did some very good work. All I want to tell you is that there's times when there's moments of dead air. I have posted in the information box the video. If you want to watch the video. Um, but I'm going to, obviously, all I do is an audio show. So there's no video of mine. So, But uh, it's still worth the effort. Uh, this gentleman, along with the rest of us, has put a lot of the pieces together. And the fact of the matter is the same old story over and over again. Our problem with the London has always been the Jesuits in Rome. And that we have now seen the fruition of their successful counter-reformation. And the demonstration to the rest of the world that Rome, the Jesuits, truly do run central... South and now North America, and that we are part of their new world order, if not always, and that uh, they'll be launching something 
I'm sure, dire in the near future. Now, you're going to also speak, you say that it could be an inquisition. Well, the inquisition is always bound, it certainly will be a case. Whether it comes to our back door to, to tomorrow or a year or 10 or 20 years from now, we don't know when. Uh, but we do see what's going on with the Crusades in the Middle East. And it's quite clear to see that they're going to force a lot of us, including our youth, our sons and children, to fight their papal proxy wars in this uh, new phase of their World War III. So I hope that you pay attention to this. I hope you get something out of it. Later on tonight, we uh, try to do with uh, Lucis Arcade, Kena, although I don't know what I'm doing with that. So maybe it's... <clears throat> Maybe I should uh, just keep focusing on the papacy. But uh, I think maybe this is a way to bring people to uh, hear about the papacy. I don't know. Anyways, very tired. It's very hot. I had to do a lot of work outside. Unfortunately, I don't have anybody helping me at all. So, Although that neighbor of mine, he's certainly been helpful. And he, unfortunately, won't be able to go with me to Johnny Sarusi's uh, lecture. But he's one of us. So, ironies and ironies. All right. Here we go. future generations, a new world order, a world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order, an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN staff. that a massive shift in global economic power is underway from west to east. The question is whether the old developed economies are ready for the consequences of that change. Are you optimistic a global system can 
in what we it, it, it could happen, and in fact is in the works. justice and more secure in the quest for peace 
an era in which the nations of the world, east and west, north and south, can prosper and live in harmony. A hundred generations have searched for this elusive path to peace, while a thousand wars raged across the span of human endeavor. And today that new world is struggling to be born, a world quite different from the one we've known, a world where the rule of law supplants the rule of the jungle, a world in which nations recognize the shared responsibility for freedom and justice. is emerging and with it the foundations of a new and progressive era of international cooperation. We have resolved that from today we will together manage the process of globalization to secure responsibility from all and fairness to all. Also exists an extraordinary opportunity to form for the first time in history a truly global society. committee for many years, and I have never seen anything as disgraceful and outrageous and despicable as the last demonstration that just took place about, you know, you're going to have to shut up or I'm going to have you arrested. The ideology of the unification of mankind under one religious, economic, and political umbrella has existed since the days of Babylon of civilization reaching for the sky. United States politicians have demonstrated enormous fanatical zeal in a race against the clock to institute policies asserting U.S. superiority. Nations such as China and Russia are forming re-evaluated alliances and are challenging U.S. hegemony. There is also a religious aspect as well. Behind the scenes, Roman Catholicism has allied itself with the United States and the European elite to ensure Roman Catholicism, with its 1.2 billion members, is the head, not the tail, of the new world order. Islam is the rival, almost 1.6 billion members, and fundamentalist sects like the Shiites not willing to be part of any world order. Relations and the Bilderberg Group. But the rabbit hole goes deeper than that. 
U.S. presidents are well aware of the inherent danger of being assassinated by an unseen power if they choose to go against the grain of a well-hidden secret organization, hell-bent on absolute control. Whom is this hidden power lurking in the shadows? On November the 22nd, at midday, Lee Harvey Oswald, according to four U.S. government investigations, shot John F. Kennedy in Dallas, Texas. The assassination of JFK has been enshrouded in mystery ever since the bizarre chain of events that occurred before, during, and after the execution of one of the most loved presidents in the history of the United States of America. Let's expose who was behind this action and investigate the motives of a power working covertly to undermine not only the U.S. government, but other nations as well. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweigh the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. That I do not intend to permit to the extent that it's in my control. And no official of my administration, whether his rank is high or low, civilian or military, should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligent, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. There were multiple reasons why JFK was assassinated. The Vietnam War, the dismantling of the Federal Reserve, threatening to smash the CIA into a thousand pieces, and JFK's speech on the separation of church and state, which displeased the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. President Kennedy wanted to withdraw from Vietnam, and he, as president, began to de-escalate American involvement in Southeast Asia. But the superpower group was plotting his murder. 
who was the superpower group that has avoided publicity after a myriad of deception all these years. Writer and philosopher Avro Manhattan had this to say, The political and military origin of the war of Vietnam has been described with millions of written and spoken words, yet nothing has been said about one of the most significant forces which contributed to its promotion, namely the role played by religion, which in this case means the part played by the Catholic Church and a diplomatic counterpart, the Vatican. Their active participation is not mere speculation, it is an historical fact as concrete as the presence of the US or the massive guerrilla resistance of Asian communism. The activities of the last two have been scrutinized by thousands of books, but the former has never been assessed, not even in the summarized form. The Catholic Church must be considered as their main promoter in the origin, escalation and prosecution of the Vietnamese conflict. From the very beginning, this religious motivation helped set in motion the avalanche that was to cause endless agonies in the Asiatic and the American continent. The military arm of the Vatican, the Jesuits, who controlled politicians in Washington, wanted to continue the war in Vietnam, set up a Catholic power in Southeast Asia, and maintain the control of the international drug market that the Jesuits had held for over 400 years in the Far East. When President Kennedy stood in their way, he had to be removed. The Jesuits had John F. Kennedy assassinated. The day after Kennedy was killed, the decision to stop America's involvement in Vietnam was reversed, and the Vatican program continued. Reserve, dared to exercise the leadership authority 
granted to him by the U.S. Constitution. After the planned withdrawal from Vietnam and dismantling of the Federal Reserve System, which is not controlled by the U.S. government and too often manipulates United States policy, JFK was a marked man. He further infuriated the Vatican with his separation of church and state speech. I believe in an America where the separation of church and state is absolute, where no Catholic fellow would tell the president, shouldn't be Catholic, how to act. Kennedy was one of many presidents, kings, czars, and emperors who refused to obey the Jesuits and was killed for it. The role of the papacy in the heinous murder and cover-up of this crime cannot be denied. The Vatican had the motive, the people in key positions to carry it out, and the people in key positions to cover it up. The Jesuits control the major secret societies, including Freemasonry, Skull and Bones, as well as Roman Catholic secret societies such as the Knights of Malta and the Knights of Columbus. The last three generations of the Bush family belong to Skull and Bones and are subservient to the papacy. Here we see George H.W. Bush also in Dallas on that tragic day when JFK was gunned down. Let's take a look at some of the people who were in key positions at the time of the assassination. Lyndon B. Johnson was vice president and a Freemason. He was subservient to Jesuit-controlled elite after he was sworn in as U.S. president following the death of JFK. Alan Dulles was a Knight of Malta and CIA director from 1953 to 61. JFK fired Alan Dulles as CIA director for the mishandling of the Bay of Pigs invasion and insubordination to himself. JFK stated he wanted to splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter it under the winds. On November the 29th, 1963, President Lyndon Johnson appointed Alan Dulles to one of seven commissioners of the Warren Commission to investigate the assassination of the U.S. President John F. Kennedy. The appointment was later criticized by some historians who noticed that Kennedy had fired him and therefore he was unlikely to be impartial in passing judgment charged the Warren Commission. Alan Dulles's nephew, Avery Dulles, was a Roman Catholic cardinal and Jesuit priest. John McCone was the replacement of Alan Dulles as CIA director from 1961 to 65. And the Knights of Columbus, with George Bundy, the United States Security Advisor. He was a member of Skull and Bones. George H. W. Bush was, in Dallas, seemingly nervous in his body language, and he too was a member of Skull and Bones. Tony Hoover was director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and a Freemason. James Rowley, his brother Francis was a Jesuit priest, was director of the U.S. Secret Service from 1961 to 73. He was responsible for the security of JFK. Here we see the confusion as the Secret Service are now ordered to stand down as the president drives into the line of fire. Normally, the Secret Service would be riding on the back of the limousine, which has foot platforms and handles, as seen in this picture. The Secret Service driver, William Greer, made an almost complete stop in front of a gutter drain, which mainstream documentaries and accounts will never reveal. But the other assassins had failed to deliver a fatal headshot, and the last assassin hidden at the drain was successful. The Mafia, too, no doubt, had a part to play in the assassination of JFK, as the CIA has worked with them on many occasions and the Mafia gave plausible deniability to the power elite that the operation ever came undone. Right. 
around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligent, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silent, not praised. No rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. The United States rules the world. The Catholic Church will rule the world. Nothing can stand against the Church. I'd like to see the politician who would try to rule against the Church in Chicago. His reign would be short indeed. Archbishop Quigley, 1903, the Chicago Tribune. The founders of the CIA, which replaced the OSS, Office of Strategic Services, were Harry Truman, a Freemason, Alan Dulles, Knights of Malta, and William J. Donovan, who is also a member of Knights of Malta. Even though Dulles was said to be a Presbyterian, which no doubt gave him more cover, many, if not all, CIA directors since the creation of the CIA have had a Jesuit education or some connection to a secret society, Jesuit priest or advisor. Leaders of governments know very well that shadow government is watching, waiting for the right time to strike, gaining ground inch by inch, controlling men of influence and power by force, threat, intimidation or bribe. Even as U.S. economic competitors such as the European Union were on the verge of disbanding, United States President Barack Obama strongly encouraged and advised the EU to forge ahead, expanding and consolidating European nations into one political and economic superstate. So it is evident that the United States government is not necessarily representing American interests of we, the people, but rather, we, the powerful undercurrent of globalist elite, 
Miniac, it's a new world order to make wars between nations and make the distribution of food and resources more manageable. Hitler had the same goal. Totalitarianism always ends in the systematic abuse of the masses. George Orwell's novel, 1984, is a fictitious story, first published in 1949, about a totalitarian regime which kept citizens in a state of fear under the facade of endless war. 1984 has an uncanny resemblance to what is slowly happening to our society. The maze of government surveillance, arbitrary detainment, and torture and mass media conditioning of the masses to a certain way of thinking. What Napoleon Bonaparte and Adolf Hitler failed to do in the quest for the unification of Europe, the European Union succeeded in doing through trade and diplomacy. As you can see, the EU headquarters building was nothing more than a replica of the Tower of Babel, given the effect of incompletion. The Tower of Babel signifies the collective concentration of apostasy against divine statues by many nationalities. As the advertisement poster states, many tongues, one voice, with eleven visible pentagram stars of the twelve that are thought to conjure up satanic power in the occult, and the twelfth star is said to be hidden behind the structure. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization, best known by its acronym NATO, is a multinational force designed and thought necessary to counter the military power of the USSR, communism in Western Europe, and nationalist militarism. Now that the Cold War is over with the Soviet Union, the new goal is the domination of Eurasia, outflanking Russia and halting any plans of Russian imperialism. NATO is now more or less an instrument of elite think tank groups, such as the Bilderberg Group. The strongest influence within this military machine seems to be the United States, as the United Kingdom, France and Germany coalesce but significant sake. Gladio was a clandestine operation grafted into NATO a year after its creation in 1949. So accused of false flag attacks in Ukraine. Coming up. The third force in eastern Ukraine. Kiev copies George Bush's plans for Iraq. And mainstream hosts storm out of the studio. Killing your own citizens, then blaming another nation to start wars called a false flag attack. The most infamous is Operation Himmler. Nazis murdered fellow Germans, then blamed Poland to start World War II. Nazis trained by NATO with the vile snipers during the Maidan protests. They shot both sides, both the police and their own supporters. It helped spark the violence that brought the coup d'etat. Leaked images show Ukraine nationalists Una Unso being trained to use sniper rifles by NATO. These false flags, writes intelligence author F. William Engdahl, are just the latest atrocity in the documented NATO operation Gladio. Decades of terror attacks that have killed hundreds throughout Europe have actually been funded and planned by the White House. Top-level officials in the government and the CIA have confirmed in what Wikispooks calls the most shocking story ignored by the mainstream. Gladio is admitted by former CIA head Bill Colby to be a major operation. Operations like the massacre at Bologna Rail Station, which killed 85 people and injured hundreds more. EU Parliament passed a resolution condemning the terror, demanded NATO stop and carry out a full investigation. The US simply ignored it. Evidence shows this US campaign of terror continues today, notes the world's leading scholar on Gladio, Dr. Daniel Ganser, 
FBI whistleblower Sybil Edmonds, who ACLU calls the most gagged person in U.S. history, revealed the CIA has actually expanded the program internationally under codename Gladio B. The same professional snipers as in Kiev writes Global Research News have been found shooting both sides in countries throughout the world that offer resistance to the U.S. Political analyst Eric Drazer joins us. Really great to talk to you. What's going on? Who's behind the snipers? If they work in the service of Western intelligence, this is quite clear. Likely private contractors, private mercenaries who are paid to create this kind of chaos. Those who probably cut their teeth on the battlefields of Afghanistan and in Iraq, who now are essentially murderers for hire, who are sent anywhere where the United States or its allies deem necessary to create chaos. So uh, you mentioned a couple of examples in in uh, in Syria, in Ukraine, in Venezuela. We should also remember, of course, Thailand in 2010. We saw a very similar situation there. Egypt most recently as well. Uh, this is a standard tactic created causes Belli for the United States to have a military presence for decades to come. The world's main instigator of false flags, knows the editor of upcoming book Flashpoint in Ukraine, Dr. Stephen Lenman, is the United States. The U.S. hasn't been threatened with a real attack in hundreds of years, writes the author of Questioning the War on Terror, Dr. Kevin Barrett. The only way to force war on its population is through terror-inducing false flags. 266 American sailors were killed on the USS Maine in Havana Harbor using the slogan, Remember the Maine. The establishment blamed an enemy mine, then colonized Cuba, Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Philippines. Admiral Hyman Rickover later revealed it had nothing to do with the enemy. The explosion came from inside the ship. The entire U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff called for another, quote, Remember the Maine incident with Operation Northwoods. Declassified documents show Pentagon plans to blow up a U.S. ship, hijack passenger planes, down an airliner from the U.S. full of college students, wage a, quote, terror campaign in Miami, other cities, and Washington, D.C. The false flag attacks must be, quote, widely publicized in mainstream media to cause a, quote, helpful wave of national indignation. Plans signed off by Armed Forces Chief Lyman Nemnitzer were blocked at the last minute by a horrified President Kennedy. It was opposition to out-of-control militarism, writes James Douglas in JFK and the Unspeakable, that Douglas says got Kennedy killed by the intelligence services. It's one of the versions for his assassination. Northwood's mastermind Lemnitzer was put in charge of NATO, where he, quote, hoisted the black flag of terror in Europe under Operation Gladio, notes the book Gladio, NATO's dagger at the heart of Europe. Kennedy's removal left the path clear for successor Lyndon Baines Johnson to return false flags to center stage. Within less than a year, LBJ fabricated the attack that plunged the U.S. into the Vietnam disaster. The president made up a non-existent strike on U.S. ships in the Gulf of Tonkin and said, quote, our boys are floating in the water. The lie goaded Congress into authorizing war, killing more than 3 million Vietnamese and 58,000 U.S. servicemen. President Bush Jr. told British Prime Minister Blair that if he couldn't get U.N. approval to bomb Iraq, he'd paint a U.S. jet in U.N. colors. 
and tried to get it shot down over Iraq to justify invasions. In a bizarre parallel, Life News this week filmed Kiev now using these armoured helicopters with UN insignia against civilians in eastern Ukraine. These are just the false flags that are on the record and officially documented. Some are reprinted in 63 documents the government doesn't want you to read, written by Vietnam vets and former Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura. On the few occasions mainstream media let him speak, hosts react with disdain and even storm out the studio in fury at the suggestion their government could ever do anything like that. Oh, come on, Jesse. No, 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 come on. That's it. Every, wait a minute. Every war starts with a false flag operation. You can't, in all seriousness, sit there and try and make uh, anybody... Let me ask you this, Jesus. Wait a minute. Have you read the 9-11 report? And you think it's a piece of fiction? No, I believe everything in it. I believe. Uh, my government's never lied to me, have they? Let's see, where should we start? The Dolpha Tonkin incident? I remember our president sitting on TV telling us that our boys are floating in and the water. And because of that, you'll never believe But any. they lie all the time. I, have you been in government? No, I have. All right, so that's for it. So I've never been the NFL, but I can watch a football game. Yeah. All right, Jesse, uh, take care. He's leaving. For the public to fall for a false flag, mainstream media lies must be coordinated and complete. When the White House lied that Syria's government did the Damascus chemical attack, the entire mainstream media swallowed it whole without asking for a shred of evidence. Last month, U.S. Intel admitted actually NATO member Turkey had false flagged the attack, which killed some 1,400 civilians to justify invasion. Not a single mainstream outlet reported it. Turkey's leaders banned YouTube last month after leaked audio of them planning another false flag to invade Syria, reportedly egged on by John Kerry. Turkey's premier confirmed the authenticity of the tape. I will send four men from Syria. I'll make up a cause of war by ordering a missile attack on Turkey. Many times, Kerry has said to me, okay, did you make the decision to strike? Mainstream has one coordinated a term of art that the Turks were just innocently, quote, discussing military strategy rather than the appalling truth that Turkey's planning a terrorist false flag on their own land as an excuse to invade Syria, apparently encouraged to commit the supreme international crime by the United States Secretary of State himself. U.S.-backed jihadi admits they're also taught false flags to destroy mosques and blame Syria's government. I was originally tasked with the destruction of mosques. You destroy the mosques so you can put the blame on the army? Yes. If a mosque is not destroyed, we desecrate it. The massacre of Odessa this month reports counterpunch has all the signs of a classic U.S. false flag. Shortly after, dozens of CIA spooks were discovered instructing Kiev's junta how to act in East Ukraine. Pro-Kiev thugs were sent to the city of Odessa with these red armbands. But the bloodshed was sparked by this rooftop shooter in a red armband, slaying his own side. Duly provoked, the thugs went on to torch and murder dozens of anti-fascist civilians they thought were to blame for the shooting. James Corbett of The Corbett Report joins us. Really great to see you. Why does the U.S. establishment behave like this? 
it's important to understand the establishment as uh, a collection of psychopathic individuals. And that's not meant as some sort of metaphor. That's meant as uh, almost a medical diagnosis. Um, there, are a, there is a percentage of the population, it's disputed by medical experts, but somewhere between 3 and 4% is generally the figure cited, of people who have an ap a medical condition where they are absolutely unable to feel the natural human empathy that we feel for one another and compassion that we feel for people in situations that, uh, that are un un underprivileged or what have you, people who are in positions of pain or suffering. Um, there is a percentage of the population that has absolutely none of those feelings, and these tend to be the people who rise into positions of power and prominence in um, power structures that themselves are designed specifically to inflict pain and suffering on others. So it is not a big stretch to imagine how psychopathic individuals advance in military or intelligence function. Tanks and armored vehicles have now moved in to shoot more unarmed civilians. James Corbett notes these incredible atrocities seem intentional to justify NATO military intervention. Right on cue this week, Kiev officially asked for international military help in eastern Ukraine. The author of Questioning the War on Terror, Dr. Kevin Barrett, joins us. Really great to see you. What are the conclusions from Northwood to Operation Gladio today? We're learning more and more about how psychopathic so many of our leaders are and have been. Stories about Lyndon Johnson that I can't repeat on international media because they're so disgusting. Uh, stories about the Bush family involving the worst, most despicable kinds of crime. Um, it, it's become supremely obvious that a lot of the Western leadership is deeply corrupt. Uh, and I think that has a terrible effect on the larger society because it's natural for people to imitate those above them in the social hierarchy. So we, I think, need to rethink the process that we were using to put people into leadership positions, military leadership, intelligence leadership, political leadership. Uh, and we need to think about coming up with a way to maybe administer psychopathy tests to people who are aspiring leaders or otherwise vet people to try to make sure that people in the top positions have some kind of conscience because if they don't, I'm afraid, Things are going to just spiral out of control. Whole societies will become so corrupt that they will fall apart, and uh, civilization itself will be threatened. Dr. Barron knows false flags only work when the public's unaware of them. Washington's blog reports that interest in false flags has gone through the roof, and interest now highest in the U.S. Audiences for mainstream pumping false flag lies are in free fall. Channels like MSNBC shed half their entire viewership last year, losing another quarter just in the first three months of 2014. NATO leaders are now known to have mass murdered their own civilians in false flag operations like Gladio. Reportedly, the operation continues today. How many more victims will there be before the public finds out? Seek truth from facts. This is the Truth Seeker. Mysterious and elite, for decades, some of the world's most powerful people have come together to form a secret society of sorts. But now some of their secrets may be exposed. Joining me with more on the Bilderberg Group is radio host Alex Jones. Alex, I'm wondering what you think about this. Uh, does this mean that the ins and outs of the Bilderberg Group will become more mainstream now that this author is coming out uh, to talk about it more? 
Well, uh, European Union Member of Parliament Mario Bergizio, uh last year questioned in the Parliament uh, why uh, so many uh, heads of EU positions were Bilderberg Group members. And of course, last year, uh, Dutch uh, Member of Parliament Harry von Bommel uh, also uh, petitioned uh, to members of the Bilderberg Group uh, who were in the EU government to explain themselves. So what's happening is uh, more and more people in governments, uh, in different European uh, national governments and in the EU government, are realizing that the real decisions are being made at globalist meetings like the Bilderberg Group. And uh, we wrote a story last week at PrisonPlanet.com titled Bilderberg Group, The Open Conspiracy, because uh, when Jim Tucker was first reporting on this 32 years ago as a U.S. reporter, people made fun of him and laughed at him and said it didn't even exist. Uh, Major publications like the New York Times and Time Magazine said it didn't exist. Well, since then, the Bilderberg Group has been forced to go more public and admit that they covertly set up the European Union, that they do want a planetary government, that they do want world government. And so, so much of their agenda is now promoted by the EU and others. Herman von Rumpy, uh, who's a Bilderberg Group attendee, and of course the head of the EU, has called for global government run by the very central banks that have caused the the worldwide uh, derivatives crisis. So yes, uh, just two weeks ago, uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski addressed the Council on Foreign Relations and said for the first time in world history, the entire globe is politically awakened, not to the puppet presidents and prime ministers, but to the real power elite, and that their world government is basically in trouble. And the Council on Foreign Relations, the people in the crowd looked very upset. Uh, so this Anglo-American uh, Dutch power structure uh, that's hidden in the shadows and used the energy of the U.S. and England to carry out this world government is in trouble because the American people and others are waking up to the fact that we've been used as the engine uh, of this covert empire. Uh, Alex, so I want major- to interrupt you just real quick. Um, I think you make a good point in talking about how it really did used to be uh, viewed as sort of a conspiracy, and uh, a lot of people didn't see the, the validity in talking about this as something that was real. But many of the predictions that the Builder Group has made, especially relating to the economy and the financial meltdown in Europe, have been extremely accurate. Talk a little bit about that and how that has sort of altered public perception. Well, sure. I mean, you get 150 or so, uh, previously it was about 125, of the heads of Dutch Royal Shell, royalty, the, the head of the Dutch Royal House, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, all together is really a mafia commission meeting, and they're deciding on any disputes and the agenda uh, for the following year. Uh, because they're already going in the basic direction they want to go, but there's minor tweaks going on. So two years ago, I traveled to Virginia and covered the Bilderberg Group, and the intel we got from inside was that Obama had been chosen and that Hillary was going to step down from the campaign. That was done two days later after we announced it. Uh, We were able to discover that the Bilderberg Group was planning to run gas prices up to $150 a barrel. People laughed at us. It didn't happen in the next year. Uh, The Bilderberg Group said that they'd made deals to have the stage collapse of the Berlin Wall. Jim Tucker reported on that a full year before it happened. Uh, Jim Tucker uh, also reported from his Bilderberg inside sources uh, that uh, they were, uh, that Bush was going to announce that he did believe in global warming and wanted carbon taxes. Uh, and that became uh, you know, a verified documented truth later. When the Washington Post was announcing that the attack on Iraq was going to be 2002, 
uh, American Free Press and others reported from their Bilderberg sources uh, that uh, the uh, owners of the Washington Post, Mr. Graham, uh, had attended and knew that it was going to be in March of 03. That was later confirmed. So, yes, the Bilderberg Group is the highest level of world government, but they have their public uh, uh, propaganda that they pull out of Davos uh, and in other uh, forums uh, and events. And, and, and more and more, what the secret of Bilderberg Group is doing behind closed doors is more and more being put out publicly uh, because they've now been revealed. They're having to admit their world government agenda but they're putting a spin on it that is good and humanitarian. And we cover this in my film, uh, The Obama Deception. But, yes, they're in a lot of trouble because the planet is waking up uh, to their covert uh, criminal operation. Uh, just very, very briefly, Alex, the uh, secrecy and the privacy, how important is that? Well, it's very important that Bilderberg uh, keep its inner working secret. It's okay if stuff from decades ago comes out, but they don't want it, uh, you know, the new information to come out because their agenda can then be uh, thwarted. Their main function now is vetting European, British, and U.S. politicians. Uh, that is one of their most important functions. More and more, they're being made uh, not obsolete. It's just that the global pace has forced the Bilderberg Group uh, to, uh, Alex, I'm going to have to cut you off. I'm so sorry. We are out of time. Uh, I always, always like hearing from you. But the Bilderberg Group can be summed up in their goals and aspirations by looking at the founders. Joseph Rettinger, who once studied to be a Catholic priest in a Jesuit seminary, was concerned about the anti-Americanism in Western Europe. He approached Prince Berhard of the Netherlands, who then in turn contacted Paul Van Zeeland of the Catholic Party of Belgium. Prince Berhard contacted Walter Bedel Smith, director of the CIA, and facilitated guest list through Eisenhower's advisor Charles Douglas Jackson, who was an expert in psychological warfare and director of the defunct OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, the forerunner of the CIA. So the Bilderberg Group founders consisted of royalty, intelligence service directors, a member of the Roman Catholic political party, and the influences of the Jesuit order Noviat. Joseph Frisinger. Enough said. NATO could also be said to be the new world order in forces, bringing the world into some sort of collective government. How can war and collectivism bring peace and prosperity? We've already seen the fruit and broken promises of past leaders who each proposed a well-ordered utopia, such as the communist state, which is more often than not led to mass murder. Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong and Pol Pot politically liquidated tens of millions of people. Right-wing politics has left a trail of death, destruction and misery as well. Hitler, Pinochet and Franco murdered and brutalized opponents and dissidents, and as these dictators all had the blessing of the Roman Catholic Church. Historically, the Vatican has always leaned to the extreme right of fascism, the ideology opposite to communism for the reasons that the Vatican has a similar power structure to fascism, and that one of the main doctrines of communism is the denial of the existence of God, which leaves little room for Roman Catholicism. The ideological views of Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, socialism and communism, were refined from such works as Plato's Republic, and were meant to create heaven on earth, in theory, what happened to practice was misery and tyranny. Socialism or communism, no matter how it is expressed, is collectivism and is or eventually leads to totalitarianism. 
fascism is simply the flip side of the same totalitarian coin, but with room for a religious and political leader. Both ideologies are totalitarianism and lead to big brother government. You may have noticed that China is allowing more freedoms, becoming more capitalist and quasi-democratic. The United States has morphed into a strange mix of communism, fascism and capitalism. However, capitalism in the future will only be a privilege for the elite. The United States and many other Western countries are rapidly becoming police states with controlled media, owned by only a handful of individuals. Many Western government states and provincial governments are slowly surrendering power to federal governments, which in turn surrender power to organisations such as the United Nations, World Bank, IMF and trade unions. Sovereign countries will lose autonomy and citizens will face laws that will deface individualism and be replaced by collectivism. For world government to grow, you need problems that need fixing. In reality, many problems are created, some are induced, and some naturally occur. The problem-reaction-solution model is the most effective strategy to create a new world order. Problems such as overpopulation, climate change, and terrorism are examples of problems the world's powerful bring before a pliant public in order to bring about the desired changes. The correct terminology is social engineering. The allied countries of the United States, such as the United Kingdom, Australia, Canada and New Zealand, are also rapidly losing personal freedoms and liberties, which might soon exceed the restrictions of communist China. With all the attention placed on the NSA's mass surveillance of American citizens, it's easier to forget the other countries that are taking a page out of the agency's spy book. Just this past weekend, it was revealed that in 2008, Australia's surveillance agency shared information about the country's citizens with its most trusted intelligence partners. Perhaps the most concerning part of this recently leaked Snowden document was a discussion between these allies about whether or not to share the medical, legal, and religious information of Australian citizens. But this story is just a microcosm of the larger international spine cabal working together to peer into every nook and cranny of the world. So who exactly are these keeping partners? Well, they call themselves the Five Eyes, a partnership made up of intelligence agencies in five English-speaking countries, the U.S., the U.K., Australia, Canada, and New Zealand. And just like the Eye of Sauron, I see all which is an especially appropriate analogy since The Lord of the Rings was filmed in New Zealand. But I digress. You see, the Five Eyes Agreement has been around since the end of World War II, but it was so secret that the program wasn't even disclosed to the public until 2005. On the surface, this treaty is just a friendly agreement between allied nations that is essential to stopping global terrorism. But thanks to the Snowden leaks, we now know just what an asinine agreement is actually being used for industrial espionage and circumventing those pesky laws that prohibit warrantless surveillance of a country's own citizens. In theory, these nations are not allowed to spy on each other's people, but we all know rules are meant to be broken. In 2007, the NSA analyzed and retained any British citizen's mobile phone number, email, and IP address swept up in its enormous dragnet. Another memo dated from 2005 shows that the NSA was working on a procedure to spy on the other four countries. And while one sentence in the memo states that the U.S. and U.K. will not explicitly target each other, the very next sentence says governments reserve the right to spy on each other's citizens when it's in the best interest of each nation. Well, that's not open to interpretation at all. Look, I think it's clear at this point. 
that the myth of the American empire exporting freedom and democracy really means exporting surveillance and subjugation. The missions of fascism, capitalism, and communism seem to be the cornerstone of the New World Order autocracy. Yes, autocracy, like the Roman Empire with a Pope instead of a Caesar, but more on this subject later. Karl Marx raised some very realistic economic predictions of the future in his writings, such as when markets have become saturated, power must eventually go back to the state. For example, when everybody in the world has a pair of shoes and a mobile phone, the markets then become uncompetitive. Companies can only compete as long as they make a profit. When the profit is marginal or non-existent due to fierce competition or oversupply, power must eventually go back to the state. 3D printing will definitely speed this process along, and perhaps 3D printing will end up being regulated by the New World Order under license, especially in the case of guns, and the state will oversee license mass production. Interesting foresight by Karl Marx, considering we can see this happening in the United States and around the world. Many lines of business are ending up in the hands of a few. The Western economic system is similar to a giant Ponzi scheme eating new industries. Recently, the United States has even legalized marijuana in some states, and many European countries seem to rely on drug trafficking and prostitution to raise their GDP. It's this simple, folks. If you believe the world economy is a sound, solid structure, you are an idiot. And I mean that in the kindest way possible. But seriously, the entirety of our economy is a Ponzi scheme. And anyone with half a brain who spends about 15 minutes thinking about it will agree. And the Ponzi scheme is beginning to show some cracks. First, we have people losing their homes and savings because they were buying up crap they couldn't afford. Then we had governments bailing out banks and corporations. Now, we have governments bailing out other governments. We perpetually finance the present with the promise of the future's prosperity. It's insane. At some point, the buck passing has to stop. People are really showing which side they're on right now. This is the big move. And I mean, there's the headline, Pope Francis calls for a new system of global government to tackle climate change. That's not an Infowars.com headline. That's in Time Magazine, Newsweek, the BBC. I, I mean, Lord Moncton, how do you square this? What has happened here is that Pope Francis was brought up in the communist tradition of what's called liberation theology, which came out of the French universities, like so many other bad ideas, and it was taken back to, to Latin America by students for the priesthood who've gone to study for university degrees in France. And, of course, one of those was Pope Francis. So he is an anti-Catholic through and through. The Jesuits are well aware that capitalism as we know it cannot survive for long. Technologies such as 3D printing and robotic automation could well make most of the workforce redundant. Power, to a large degree, would have to go back to the state, curtailing capitalism. What are the chances a robot or computer will one day take over your job? According to one study, 47% of U.S. jobs have a high probability of becoming computerized. And recently, the Pew Research Center surveyed 1,900 experts who all agreed that automation and artificial intelligence will truly pervade our lives by 2025. 
but nearly half of the experts aren't optimistic about this automation at all. They say robots and other tech will displace blue and white collar workers. Masses of people will be effectively unemployed. Many dictators and ancient superpowers have had the same ambition of world domination, such as the Babylonians, Egyptians, Medes and Persians, ancient Greece, and the Roman Empire, and last of all, the Roman Catholic Church, which is simply a continuation of the Roman Empire that was authorized by the Byzantine, or Eastern Roman, Emperor Justinian I, 527 to 565 AD, after the demise of Western Rome. Eventually, the Roman Catholic Church was subdued by Napoleon's general in 1798, ending 1260 years of papal rule. Historians believe that the Roman Catholic Church killed upward of 50 million people. Later in history, the independent Vatican city-state was established in 1929 by the Lateran Treaty, signed by Cardinal Secretary of State Pietro Caspari on behalf of Pope Pius XI and by Prime Minister Benito Mussolini on behalf of King Victor Emmanuel III of Italy. Since 1929, the papacy has gathered momentum and today is the most powerful organization on the planet. Vatican rule and infiltration is a growing concern within many countries. Every Catholic has a responsibility, obeying the Pope before king, president or country. So more often than not, a conflict of interest arises. When a practicing Catholic holds any public or political office. In past history, the papacy used the armies of rulers and kings to procure her agenda and establish papal supremacy, most probably because of the cost. Some examples are King Clovis I, who enforced Catholicism with an iron fist uniting the Frankish tribes, and King Philip II of Spain on the orders of Pope Sixtus V, sailing his armada to conquer rebellious Protestant England. The St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre and many more examples are all indictments against the papacy's religio-political agenda controlling kings. The Catholic Church has infiltrated the highest levels of government in many nations by the Roman Catholic secret societies such as the Jesuits, Knights of Malta, Opus Dei, Knights of Columbus and laymen too. However, the Jesuits knew that if they could commandeer agencies like the CIA, NSA, the FBI, the Secret Service, as well as placing Jesuit-trained and influenced directors in military and defense roles, the Vatican could ultimately control the U.S. government, coercing other nations to comply with the implementation of the Vatican's new world order. The Society of Jesus, better known as the Jesuit order, is the right arm of the Catholic Church. The Jesuits were approved by Pope Paul III in 1540 to counteract the Reformation, but grew more powerfully pervasive than the Roman Catholic Church itself. The Illuminati were simply members of the Jesuit order who were disenfranchised from the Roman Catholic Church when Pope Clement XIV, by the brief Dominus Acredenta, suppressed the Jesuits on the 21st of July, 1773. This was under the pressure of leaders of European nations for subversive actions against the state. The Illuminati were simply the Jesuits resurrected under a new guise and a new name. Some years later, the monarchs that instigated the suppression of the Jesuits were no longer ruling because of political revolutions that the Jesuits had conceived under the guise of the Illuminati. Pope Pius VII restored the Jesuit order to its preeminence in 1814. The Jesuits simply kept the Illuminati as a secret society controlling secular society, including education, 
Greek-led organisations like Phi Beta Kappa, Kappa Alpha Society, and Delta Phi, and other secret societies such as Skull and Bones and Freemasonry. Now the Jesuits control both spheres, Christianity and secularism. The Jesuit order was extremely successful in its counter-reformation against Protestantism as well as stamping out any papal dissent ignited by Martin Luther, who nailed the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg Castle door in 1517. But the Jesuit war against Protestantism has been going on for centuries, even landing on the shores of the United States of America, which was deemed a Protestant nation. President Washington that was the first president to be utilized by the Jesuits, if you were not aware of that, President Washington already was initiated by the Jesuits to bring about the first communication with the Vatican ever known in this country. From there on, uh, uh, President Reagan, uh, throughout all this time, President Reagan has come to fulfill the greatest uh, uh, the greatest moment in the history of this conspiracy because no other president has come as close as President Reagan uh, brought about several things. One of them is the uh, diplomatic relationship with the Vatican. Second, the preparation for the signature of a concordat between the Vatican and the United States. And if you want to know, this never took place overnight. President Reagan was speaker and he said for the task that is performing today as President of the United States by the gestures alone in the time that he served as a star in a movie that was very well known and still being shown today, a very old movie, about the, the uh, uh, football team of Notre Dame. That's correct. This is the time that the first contact was made by the gestures with Reagan. When Ronald Reagan opened diplomatic relations with the Vatican State on January the 10th, 1984, something that the American people had contested in former years because of the contrast between the United States, a nation of religious liberty, and Vatican City, a dictatorial state that claimed fascism to be more in line with her political thinking and tyranny of religious freedom. In 1989, the tearing down of the Berlin Wall was an example of the intimacy of a U.S.-Vatican merger with Pope John Paul II influencing both the fall of the Berlin Wall and the end of the Soviet Union, which had long been opposed to Roman Catholicism and the United States during the Cold War. Time magazine published an article on the 24th of February, 1992, about the alliance between the Pope and Ronald Reagan, President of the United States, ushering in a new era of U.S.-Vatican relations. Henry Luce, co-founder of Time magazine, was also a member of the Roman Catholic secret society Knights of Malta. The other founder died at a very young age, soon after the creation of the magazine. I thought that it was a matter of uh, real concern that planted stories intended to serve a national purpose abroad um, came home and were circulated here and believed here because uh, this would mean that the CIA could manipulate the news in the United States by channeling it through some foreign country. Now, we're looking at that very carefully. Do you have any...
people being paid by the CIA who are contributing to a major circulation American journal. We do have people who submit pieces to other to American journals. Do you have any people paid by the CIA who are working for television networks? This, I think, gets into the kind of uh, getting into the details, Mr. Chairman, that I'd like to get into in executive session. Uh, at CBS, uh, we uh, had been contacted by the CIA. As a matter of fact, by the time I became the head of the whole news and public affairs operation in 1954, the ships had been established, and I was told about them and asked if I'd carry on with them. We have quite a lot of detailed information, uh, and we will evaluate it, and we will include any um, evidence of wrongdoing or any evidence of impropriety in our final report and make recommendations. Do you have any people being paid by the CIA who are contributing to the National News Services, AP and UPI. Well, again, I think we're getting into the kind of detail, Mr. Chairman, that I'd prefer to handle in executive session. Senator, do you think you named the news organization? That remains to be decided. I think it was entirely in order for our correspondents at that time had to make use of the CIA agent ch uh, chiefs uh, of station and other members of the executive staff of CIA as sources of information which were useful in their assessments of world conditions. And that continue today? Well, I, yeah, I would think probably for a reporter it would continue today, but because of all of the revelations of the period of the 1970s, uh, it seems to me that a reporter has got to be much more circumspect in doing it now, or he runs the risk of uh, at least being looked at with considerable disfavor by the public. I think you've got to be much more careful about it. How has the CIA interfered in the American film industry since the Cold War era till today? What Hollywood films have come to market carrying the CIA's message and offering a vicious and extreme image of America's enemies? Who are the enemies? Who are targeted for destruction by the American agents? In 1917, when the United States entered World War I, President Woodrow Wilson's Committee on Public Information enlisted the aid of America's film industry for making training films and features supporting the cause. George Creel, chairman of the CPI, believed that the movies had a role in carrying the gospel of Americanism to every corner of the globe. The Federal Bureau of Investigation established an office in the 1930s to bolster its image in radio programs, films, and television shows. In 1947, the Department of Defense followed suit, and now the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine Corps,
the Coast Guard, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Secret Service all have motion picture and television officers or official assistants to the media on their payroll. During World War II, Hollywood's contribution was to provide propaganda. Hollywood's most famous movie stars leave the film capital to help the government sell war bonds. Irene Dunn, Ronald Coleman, Hedy Lamar, Greer Garson, all part of a contingent of some 50 screen celebrities giving their time and talents to aid the national war effort. The country has asked the people to invest a billion dollars in one month to help pay for the war. And here's the start of the drive. Boarding a special train for Washington, they'll tour 300 cities from coast to coast. Go to any city that agrees to subscribe at least $1 million. Bye, 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 buy a bond. And by and by, the bond you buy will bring you victory. After the war, Washington reciprocated by using subsidies, special provisions in the Marshall Plan, and general clout to pry open resistant European film markets. Every society to some degree has, um, and you know, uh, structural elements that want a particular representation of the individuals in society. The CIA's involvement in Hollywood goes all the way back to, not only Hollywood, it really starts in the media in 1953. Um, Alan Dulles, uh, created a department that wanted to really influence the media and the CIA. Um, Carl Bernstein, uh, the famous Woodward and Bernstein um, journalist who exposed Watergate, he was actually the co-winner of the Pulitzer Prize in, I believe, 1973. In 1977, I believe, he uh, published a, an article, 20,000 to 25,000 words, titled The CIA and the Media. And this was actually published in Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, in 1977, and it really disclosed the, the, the you know, the hand, um, the sleight of hand that Hollywood had in, um, in influencing the media as a whole. Now, eventually this would, you know, lend itself to Hollywood for obvious reasons. But, you know, there was actually in the 70s, uh, Senator Frank Church headed a committee, um, the Senate Intelligence Committee, to actually look into the involvement, the extent of the involvement in the CIA in the media. Um, we had uh, William Colby and George Bush Sr. Um, come out and actually, you know, sort of thwarted the investigation. And their logic was, what their reasoning was, that this would disclose some highly sensitive information. It would not be right for national security. A lot of the same issues we see going on today. It is evident that the CIA promotes Catholicism through Hollywood. America is a predominantly Protestant country at 51%, with Roman Catholicism at 23%. One only has to think back to the overwhelming majority of Hollywood films involving Catholic priests. Public relations nightmare of Pope Benedict XVI and the ever-declining popularity of the Roman Catholic Church due to scores of sexual abuse cases, the Jesuits were summoned, and Pope Francis was elected, the first Jesuit to be elected pontiff. An Opus Dei member, Greg Burke, who previously served as a correspondent for both Fox News and Time magazine, was appointed the public relations advisor to Pope Francis. Ever since, Pope Francis has participated in cheap gimmicks and public displays of charity that have swayed public opinion to proclaim Pope Francis as the people's pope. I don't know why I'm here. Can anyone know that? 
Tell me yourself. Name God and whatever thing I see. Not mine. Not understanding. Can you find the force to enable these two quite opposite lines to live together in your Zimbabwean dictator Robert Mugabe was raised a Roman Catholic and educated at Jesuit schools. One of the world's most prolific authors had this to say on the Jesuits. There was no crime too great for them to commit, no deception too base for them to practice, no disguise too difficult for them to assume. Without to perpetual poverty and humility, it was their state wealth and power to be devoted to the overthrow of Protestantism and the re-establishment of the papal supremacy. When appearing as members of their order, they wore a garb of sanctity, visiting prisons and hospitals, ministering to the sick and poor, professing to have renounced the world, and bearing the sacred name of Jesus who went about doing good. But under this blameless exterior, the most criminal and deadly purposes were often concealed. It was a fundamental principle of the order that the ends justifies the means. By this code, lying, theft, perjury, assassination were not only pardonable, but commendable, for they served the interests of the church. Under various disguises, the Jesuits worked their way into offices of state, climbing up to be the counsellors of kings and shaping the policy of nations. They became servants to act as spies upon their masters. They established colleges for the sons of princes and nobles, and schools for the common people and the children of Protestant parents were drawn into an observance of Popish rites, the great controversy of Ellen G. White. The Black Pope, the office of Superior General of the Jesuits, has been said to be the most powerful man in the world. Currently, he is Adolfo Nicholas, who lived and taught theology in Asia, so a Jesuit goal at this time would be the subjection of Asia. At the time of 9-11, Adolfo Nicholas' predecessor, Peter Hans Kaltenberg, Superior General of the Jesuits, as he was a specialist in the Middle East that they needed. Jesuit priest Malachi Martin wrote in his book, The Keys of This Blood, that he identifies the last decades of the 20th century as the end game of the New World Order. 9-11 was an extremely suspicious event. The many inconsistencies, such as molten iron seen spewing up the sides of the building, sending controlled demolition to using thermite, and the swifts, also a telltale sign of controlled demolition. There were also many private videos and conflicting statements by witnesses that made the official story unconvincing. The people in power were all subservient to the Vatican. General Michael Hayden, Jesuit educated at the Quincy. George Tenet, Jesuit educated at Georgetown. George H. Bush, who bows down to the Pope and seen here giving George Tenet a medal for the biggest intelligent blackout in history. Donald Rumsfeld attended Jesuit Georgetown University. NORAD, North American Aerospace Defense Command, is directed by Roman Catholic Ralph Eberhard and was criticized by Senator Mark Dayton, saying, this country and its citizens were completely undefended for 109 minutes. On the morning of September 11, 2001, 19 men armed with 
box cutters directed by a man on dialysis in a cave fortress halfway around the world using a satellite phone and a laptop directed the most sophisticated penetration of the most heavily defended airspace in the world, overpowering the passengers in the military combat trained pilots on four commercial aircraft before flying those planes wildly off course for over an hour without being molested by a single fighter interceptor. These 19 hijackers, devout religious fundamentalists who like to drink alcohol, snort cocaine, and live with pink-haired strippers, managed to knock down three buildings with two planes in New York. While in Washington, a pilot who couldn't handle a single-engine Cessna was able to fly a 757 in an 8,000-foot descending 270-degree corkscrew turn to come exactly level with the ground, hitting the Pentagon in the budget analyst office where DOD staffers were working on the mystery of the $2.3 trillion that Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld had announced missing from the Pentagon's coffers in a press conference the day before, on September 10th. 2001. Luckily, the news anchors knew who did it within minutes. Osama bin Laden. The pundits knew within hours. Osama bin Laden. The administration knew within the day. Terrorists who committed these acts and those who harbored them. And the evidence literally fell into the FBI's lap. That a hijacker's passport was found blocks from the World Trade Center crash site, if you can believe that. But for some reason, a bunch of crazy conspiracy theorists demanded an investigation into the greatest attack on American soil in history. That investigation was delayed, underfunded, set up to fail, a conflict of interest, and a cover-up from start to finish. It was based on testimony extracted through torture, the records of which were destroyed. It failed to mention the existence of WTC-7, Able Danger, P-TEC, Sibel Edmonds, OBL, and the CIA, and the drills of hijacked aircraft being flown into buildings that were being simulated at the precise same time that those events were actually happening. It was lied to by the Pentagon, the CIA, the Bush administration, and as for Bush and Cheney, well, no one knows what they told it because they testified in secret, off the record, not under oath, and behind closed doors. It didn't bother to look at who funded the attacks because that question is ultimately of little practical significance. Still, the 9-11 Commission did brilliantly answering all of the questions the public had, except most of the victims' family members' questions, and pinned blame on all the people responsible, although no one so much as lost their job, determining the attacks were failure of imagination because... Nobody in our government, at least, and I don't think the prior government could envision flying airplanes into buildings. Except the Pentagon, FEMA, NORAD, and the NRO. The DIA destroyed 2.5 terabytes of data on able danger, but that's okay because it probably wasn't important. The SEC destroyed their records on the investigation into the insider trading before the attacks, but that's okay because destroying the records of the largest investigation in SEC history is just part of routine record keeping. NIST has classified the data that they used for their model of WTC-7's collapse, but that's okay because knowing how they made their model of the collapse would jeopardize public safety. The FBI has argued that all material related to their investigation of 9-11 should be kept secret from the public, but that's okay because the FBI probably has nothing to hide. This man never existed, nor is anything he had to say worthy of your attention, and if you say otherwise, you are a paranoid conspiracy theorist and deserve to be shunned by all of humanity. Likewise him, 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 and her and her and her and him. Osama bin Laden lived in the cave fortress in the hills of Afghanistan, but somehow got away. Then he was hiding out in Tora Bora, but somehow got away. Then he lived in Abbottabad for years, taunting the most comprehensive intelligence dragnet employing the most sophisticated technology in the history of the world for a decade, releasing video after video with complete impunity and getting younger and younger as he did so, before finally being found in a daring SEAL team raid which wasn't recorded on video, in which he didn't resist or use his wife as a human shield, and in which these crack special forces operatives panicked and killed this unarmed man, supposedly the best source of intelligence about those dastardly terrorists on the entire planet. Then they dumped his body in the ocean before telling anyone about it. Then a couple dozen of that team's members died in a helicopter crash in Afghanistan. This is the story of 9-11, brought to you by the media, which told you the hard truth. Every CIA director since 9-11 has been Jesuit trained, 
and have employed the subjugation of nations, building a case to wage war in the Middle East in an effort to neutralize Muslims and to control resources, furthering a new world order. About 10 days after 9-11, I went through the Pentagon and I saw Secretary Rumsfeld and, and Deputy Secretary Wolfowitz. I went downstairs just to say hello to some of the people on the Joint Staff who used, used to work for me. And one of the generals called me and he said, sir, you got to come in. you got to come in and talk to me a second. I said, well, you're too busy. He said, no, no. He says, we've made the decision we're going to war with Iraq. This was on or about the 20th of September. I said, we're going to war with Iraq. Why? He said, I don't know. <laughs> he said, I guess they don't know what else to do. So uh, I said, well, did they find some information collect connecting Saddam to al-Qaeda? He said, no, no. He says, there's nothing new that way. They just made the decision to go to war with Iraq. He said, I guess it's like we don't know what to do about terrorists, but we've got a good military and we can take down governments. And um, he said, I guess if... If the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem has to look like a nail. So I came back to see him a few weeks later, and by that time we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's worse than that. He said, he reached over on his desk, he picked up a piece of paper, and he said, I just, he said, I just got this down from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defense office today, and he said, this is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. More speculation has been raised on the reasons for NATO's intervention in Libya. And as RT's Laura Emmett reports, the organization may have been trying to prevent Gaddafi from burying the American buck. According to some, it's about protecting civilians. We must not tolerate this regime using military force against its own people. Others say it's about oil. The only reason they're interested in, with Libya is about the oil. You'd think we'd be in a lock if the major export there was broccoli. But some are convinced intervention in Libya is all about currency, specifically Gaddafi's plan to introduce the gold dinar, a single African currency made from gold, a true sharing of the wealth. It's one of these things that you have to plan almost in secret. Because as soon as you say you're going to change over from the dollar to the something else, you're going to be targeted. There were two conferences on this, one in 96 and another one in the year 2000, called the World Matava Conference, organized by Gaddafi. And uh, everybody was interested. I think most countries in Africa were keen. Gaddafi didn't give up. In the months leading up to the military intervention, he called on African and Muslim nations to join together to create this new currency that would rival the dollar and euro. They would sell oil and other resources around the world only for gold dinars. It's an idea that would shift the economic balance of the world. Countries' wealth would depend on how much gold they have, not how many dollars they trade. And Libya has 144 tons of gold. 
the UK has double that, but ten times the population. If Gaddafi uh, had an intent to try to uh, reprice his oil or whatever else the, uh, the country was uh, selling in the global markets and accept something else as a currency or maybe launch a gold in our currency, any move such as that would certainly not be welcomed by the power elite today who are responsible for controlling the world's central banks. So yes, that would certainly be something that would cause his immediate dismissal and the need for other reasons to, uh, to be brought forth for removing him from power. It's happened before. In 2000, Saddam Hussein announced Iraqi oil would be traded in euros, not dollars. Sanctions and an invasion followed. Some say because the Americans were desperate to prevent OPEC from transferring oil trading in all its member countries to the euro. The UK's gold is kept here in a secure vault somewhere in the depths of the Bank of England. As in most developed countries, there's not enough to go around. But that's not the case in places like Libya and many of the Gulf states. A gold dinar would have given oil-rich African and Middle Eastern countries the power to turn around to their energy-hungry customers and say, sorry, the price has gone up and we want gold. Some say the U.S. and its NATO allies literally couldn't afford to let that happen. There's another number that, that is alarming to me. It is that 90% of the civilian casualties... 90% come from the Syrian army. How did you get that result? That was a report that was issued uh, in the last six months. Okay. As I said earlier, the war is not about, it's not traditional war. It's not about capturing land and gaining land. It's about winning the hearts and minds of the Syrians. We cannot win the hearts and minds of the Syrians while we are killing Syrians. We cannot sustain four years in that position as a government and me as president, while the rest of the world, most of the world, the great powers, the regional power are against me and my people are against me. That's impossible. I mean, this logic has no leg to stand on. So this is not realistic and this is against our interest as government is to kill the people. What do we get? What's the benefit of killing the people? Well, I mean, the argument is that you, you, there are weapons of war that have been used that most people look down on with great. One is chlorine gas. They believe it has been used here. Uh, they say there is evidence of that, and they would like to have the right to inspect to see where it's coming from. As you know, barrel bombs have been used, and they come from helicopters. And the only people who have helicopters is the Syrian army. And so those two acts of war, which society looks down on as... Let me fully answer this. It's very important. This is part of the militia propaganda against Syria. First of all, the chlorine gas is not military, military gas. You can buy it. In the, in the, but it can be weaponized. No, because it's not very effective. It's not used as military gas. That's very self-evident. Traditional arm is more important than chlorine. And if it was very effective, the, uh, the terrorists would have used this on a larger scale. Because it's not effective, it's not used very Then why not let somebody come in and inspect and see whether it's been used or not? Well, we, uh, we, we, allow, we, we You'd want be happy to, for that? Of course. We always ask the delegation, the impartial delegation, to come and investigate. But, I mean, logically and realistically, it cannot be used as a military. This is part of the propaganda because, as you know, 
in the media. When it bleeds, it leaves. And they always look for something that bleeds, which is the chlorine gas and the bar barrel bombs. You do use barrel bombs. You're no, just saying. There's no such a thing called barrel bombs. You have bombs. And any bombs is about killing. You have often spoken about the danger of a wider war in the Middle East. Yeah. Let me talk about the parties involved uh, and characterize how you see them. Let me begin with Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is uh, anarchic autocracy, medieval system that's based on the Wahhabi dark ideology. Actually, it's a, it's a marriage between the Wahhabi and the political system for 200 years now. That's how we look at it. And what is their connection to ISIS? Same ideology, the same background. So ISIS and Saudi Arabia are one and the same? The same ideology. Same ideology. ideology. It's Wahhabi ideology. They based, uh, their ideology is based on the books of the Wahhabi and Saudi Arabia. So you believe that all Wahhabis have the same ideology as yes. ISIS? Exactly. Definitely. And that's known by ISIS, by Al-Qaeda, by Al-Nusra. It's not something we discover or we, we, we try to promote. It's very, uh, I mean, their books, they use the same books to indoctrinate the people. The Wahhabi Turkey. Turkey, let's say, is about Erdogan, his uh, Muslim Brotherhood uh, fanatics. And doesn't mean that he's a member, but he's a fanatic. President Erdogan is? He's the Muslim Brotherhood fanatic. And uh, he's uh, somebody who's suffering from political megalomania, and you think that he's becoming the Sultan of the new era, of the 21st century. You think he could stop the border if he wanted to? Yeah, of course, definitely. He doesn't only ignore the terrorists from coming to Syria. He supports them logistically and militarily, directly, on daily basis. Tell us what the Russians want. They're Sorry? a strong ally of you. Yeah. What do they want? Uh, definitely, they want to have balance in the world. It's not only about Syria. I'm a small country. It's not about having a huge interest in Syria. They could have it anywhere else. So it's about the future of the world. Uh, they want to be great power that uh, have uh, their own say in the future of this world. But and what do they want for Syria? Stability. They want stability. stability and political solution. And what does Iran want? The same. The same. Syria and Iran and Russia see eye to eye regarding this conflict. And what is your obligation to both of them? Uh, what do you mean obligation? What is your what do you owe them? Yeah, I know, but they didn't ask for anything. Nothing at all. That's why what I said. They don't do that for Syria. They do it for the region and for the world. Because stability is very important for them. You. The plan was first uh, announced by George W. Bush when he was president just after the invasion of Iraq in 2003 at a G8 meeting. And it was called the Greater Middle East Project. And that project, they, they published a map of what they had in mind, was the control and the uh, democratization, as they call it, of the entire Islamic world from Afghanistan, Pakistan, down through Iran, Syria, uh, the Persian Gulf area, the oil-producing states there, and across North Africa all the way to Morocco. Events, the so-called Arab Spring, had been planned years back, and the instigators of those uh, so-called spontaneous protests, these Twitter revolts in Cairo and, and uh, Tunisia and so forth over the last months, have all been pre-organized uh, assiduously. Some of the people 
leaders of the protests have been trained in, in uh, Belgrade in Serbia by old poor activists financed by the U.S. State Department. Uh, this thing has State Department and U.S. intelligence all over it. Uh, and why, why are they doing this? Well, two things in my view. One, there is vast wealth in the hands of the leading circles in the Arab world, vast wealth. Sovereign wealth funds of, of countries like Kuwait uh, and other countries, but also just the resources. And one of the agendas is to introduce, as was done in the Soviet Union after 1991, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, the agenda of IMF privatization, uh, free market economy, and so forth, so that Western uh, banks and financial agencies and corporations could come in and, and uh, take the plunder. The second agenda is militarily in places such as Libya or South Sudan, now the so-called Republic of South Sudan, to militarize those oil sources that are directly strategic to China's future economic growth. So this is all about controlling Eurasia, something Zbigniew Brzezinski talked about it back in 1997 in his famous book, The Grand Chess Game, uh, and controlling especially Russia and China and any potential cohesion of, of the Eurasian countries economically and, and politically. But as a result of the, uh, of the so-called Arab Spring, well, can we honestly say that uh, Middle East and uh, uh, Northern African countries, which have gone through with the changes, have they really become more democratic? Uh, Egyptian and uh, Tunisian friends of mine uh, say that it's just the opposite. The economy is in far worse shape. Libya had the highest living standard in all of Africa before the bombings of NATO. Today, the country is in ruins because of those bombings, not because of Gaddafi. Uh, the economy of Egypt is in dire straits. The military remains in control. They were The military high command of Egypt was sitting in the Pentagon when the uh, revolts kicked off and waited for a signal from the Pentagon when to return and take control of those events. So will the uh, instigators of the conflict who, turn, who seem to be you know, the United States and maybe some of the European uh, powers if we you know, look at Libya, will they be able to restore normality in these countries or is it not even in their interest? I don't think they give a moment's thought to normality or normalization. I think they, they, what their concern is, especially the Pentagon, is, is military control. The next step will be in this so-called transitional national council in Libya is, is to uh, have that uh, puppet government give uh, NATO permanent basing rights inside Libya, something they never had before under Gaddafi. South Sudan, similar thing. They're uh, defenseless unless they have NATO uh, forces in there. The AFRICOM is coordinating this, the Pentagon's Africa Command, which is Interestingly enough, created just after China's 2006 uh, Africa diplomacy, where 40 heads of African nations were invited to Beijing, and uh, enormous deals were signed with the Chinese companies for oil exploration, to build hospitals, get soft loans, everything the IMF didn't do in Africa in the last 30 years, the Chinese began doing, and uh, that had enormous results. For the only way, as they see it, they can, they can survive and keep the dollar as their instrument, Wall Street I'm talking about, is the gods of money, as I call it in my book, uh, is to find new areas of loot. So the Arab Spring is directed against grabbing and privatizing the vast wealth of the Arab oil world and the Arab world generally, uh, just as the use of the IMF in the former Soviet Union was consciously designed by Wall Street and, and by 
Washington in order to plunder the vast resources of Russia and the former Soviet Union and Warsaw Pact countries. So if the dollar does not retain its uh, superior status, do you think there is any likelihood that the euro will retain it? Or inherited, rather. Well, one reason that there's this difficulty with Greece and, and these uh, so-called uh, eurozone uh, weaker economies is that this is part of a uh, kind of a covert financial warfare between the dollar and the euro as reserve currency. It started when the Chinese started complaining publicly about the uh, flawed economic policy of, of Washington running up deficits and endangering the value of Chinese treasury bonds. So now, uh, just when that uh, became public, uh, suddenly there was a Greek crisis, and the Greek crisis was put in place in 2002 before Greece entered the Eurozone by none other than Goldman Sachs, the most powerful bank in America, uh, arguably today, politically well-connected in Washington. So uh, it's very clear if you follow the money trail that, that uh, the Greek crisis was programmed to be detonated at command by Wall Street and the U.S. Treasury, as well as the Federal Reserve, in order to defend the reserve currency role of the U.S. dollar. But I don't see the European economies endangered as the U.S. because one great difference, Europe still produces things. Europe still has real industry. Would you believe that, uh, from going back to the beginning of our interview, would you believe that there are some uh, European countries which benefit from the situation um, unraveling, say, in Libya right now? Like France. Well, I was just going to say, Sarkozy had a meeting in March when they, the whole drama in Libya kicked off. He invited leaders of the so-called Transitional National Council to Paris and made them whispered sweet nothings in their ears about having control of the uh, oil resources of eastern Libya and poured money, weapons, the CIA and, and, and the French intelligence have been pouring arms into these uh, insurgent groups inside Libya. This is an armed insurrection financed by NATO countries in Libya. It's no peaceful Twitter revolution of a bunch of kids who have a dream of American-style democracy or something. This is raw power grab by the French. But what do you predict, uh, or in European, what do you think will happen in Libya now? I mean, uh, the NATO troops will have to pull out at some point, and then what? Well, will they? I, I imagine an Iraq-like scenario or, or Afghanistan. What do you have in Afghanistan? You have 17 permanent U.S. military bases in Afghanistan, most of them air bases who are not bombing the Taliban. They're preparing for a coming war in perhaps 10 years with China or maybe with Russia. They've got a military bastion in the heart of Central Asia. That's something that they never had during the Cold War. So I think Libya is, is destined for a similar treatment. What role do you think Russia should play in, in, the, in the events which are unraveling right now? I think Russia, given the history going back more than, more than the Cold War era, uh, Russia can play a very stabilizing role as a, as a counterforce to this highly dangerous strategy of the Greater Middle East Project of NATO and the U.S. in that region. Uh, Russia can play a very important role blocking uh, some untoward events uh, from the side of the UN Security Council in Syria. I don't think China would agree as they did uh, on the Libya case to a, uh, a UN action, sanction action in, in Syria. But uh, in more ways than that, Russia can play a very constructive role, I think, in, in the region to try to uh, counter this destabilization. I would hope they do. That. The Americans say in some of their comments and wordplay that we are friends of the Iranian nation. They are lying. They are lying. You can see this through their actions. They threaten Iran. 
and they expect the Islamic Republic to reduce its defense capabilities. Is this not funny? Is this not ridiculous? At the same time, while threatening us, they say you must reduce your defense capabilities. No, the Iranian nation and authorities, various authorities from different sectors in the armed forces, with the help of God, will increase their defense strength every day. My impression of your argument is that some Arab countries who are now engaged in the fight against ISIS earlier supported the rise of ISIS. Well, in any way, sir, you're fully aware that not only regional countries, some regional countries, but also some countries from outside our region were supporting various terrorist groups. The United States herself has been a supporter of them, and these types of supports have come in various forms, some financially, some with equipping, and some make their country the territory of their nations as a passageway to the field of battle, and some encourage them in their domestic media and international media. All of them, in one fashion or another, um, encouraged and supported these terrorists, whereas terrorism is always bad, without exception. You cannot say now it's good at another time condemn it. It is always bad and evil. Why would these governments support terrorism? Unfortunately, in the world of politics, uh, the understanding for some is such that when an objective becomes of paramount importance, for example, the toppling of a certain government becomes of utmost importance, then they allow themselves to use any means, any means in order to reach their own objective. Whereas these means, these tools can at a later point be used against them. You're suggesting that Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Turkey supported the terrorists because they wanted to overthrow President Bashar al-Assad. I did not name any countries. But be that as it may, it's your wish to uh, interpret that any way you wish. You're free to do so. There were numerous countries that, uh, with the government, they were opposed to the government in Syria and were under the impression that by supporting these terrorists, they would succeed in toppling that government. But and again, also, Dr. Michel Tosadovsky warned that the so-called war on terrorism is a front to propagate America's global hegemony and create a new world order. He was speaking at the International Conference on the New World Order, Recipe for War or Peace. Dr. Tosdowski said terrorism is made in the U.S. and that terrorists are not the product of the Muslim world. According to him, the U.S. global war on terrorism was used to enact anti-terrorism laws that demonize Muslims in the Western world and created Islamophobia. Elaborating on his argument, Dr. Chomsky said that NATO was responsible for recruiting members of the Islamic State, while Israel is funding global jihad elements inside Syria. Al-Qaeda and the Al-Qaeda-affiliated organizations, including the Islamic State, 
are not independent organizations. They are sponsored. And they are sponsored by the United States and its allies. It is documented that prior to 2011, there was a process of recruitment of Mujahideen to fight in Syria. And this was coordinated by NATO and the Turkish High Command. This report is confirmed by Israeli news sources and unequivocally we are dealing with the state sponsorship of terrorism, the recruitment of mercenaries, uh, the training and the financing of terrorism. Uh, as much as possible, the United States has delegated its authority to other partners. Uh, despite the fact that ultimately this is an initiative of U.S. intelligence coordinated with the, the U.S. State Department and the Pentagon. Dr. Chaldovsky, who is also the founder of the Center for Research and Globalization, further emphasized that the global war on terrorism is a fabrication, a big lie, and a crime against humanity. Echoing Dr. Chaldovsky's argument, Malaysia's prominent political scientist, Islamic reformist and activist Dr. Chandra Muzaffar said that the U.S. has always manipulated religion to further its global hegemony on sovereign states. For example, he said the Arab Spring was brought about by Colonel Wama Muhammad Gaddafi's resistance to U.S. dominance. Earlier, Dr. Chavadovsky launched his new book titled The Globalization of War. The anti-war initiative, Perdana Global Peace Foundation, has a single goal of putting an end to war. Founded by Malaysia's former Prime Minister, Dr. Mahathir Mohamad, the foundation encourages dialogue between different nations, people and organizations to foster love and global peace. Its sister foundation, the Kuala Lumpur Foundation to Criminalize War, aims to undertake all necessary measures to criminalize war and energize peace. It also found former U.S. President George Bush and former British Prime Minister Tony Blair, among others, guilty of war crimes. Speaking to reporters at the Perdana Global Peace Foundation One Day International Conference titled The New World Order Recipe for War or Peace, Dr. Mahathir warned that Malaysia might lose its independence if the government falls prey to the ploys of the U.S. to increase its global hegemony through economic means. We will lose our freedom. We'll have to always uh, consult them or submit to them or take their orders from them. Then we have lost. We fought for independence, Madeka. Now we are going to lose our independence. These people are planning that. And if you don't do it, they threaten to cut off trade from you, they threaten to uh, support people who will overthrow the government, give them money, instigate, uh, give publicity, pro propaganda for them, to overthrow any government that we, we have. Because they want a government that will say yes to them all the time. The New World Order refers to the emergence of a totalitarian world government. 
Other prominent speakers at the conference also said that a secretive power elite led by the United States wants to replace sovereign nations. Mr. Snowden has indeed arrived in Moscow. It was completely unexpected. He arrived as a transit passenger and as such needed no visa or any other document. He has a full right to transit. In this way, he is free to purchase a ticket and fly to any destination he wishes. Doing so, he does not cross our state border and therefore needs no visa. Therefore, any accusations aimed at Russia are nothing more than utter nonsense. He is a transit passenger and as such is located in the transit area. Our special services have never interacted with Mr. Snowden before and they do not do it today. As for the possibility of extradition, we can only hand over foreign state nationals to those states that we have a relevant, valid international agreement on the extradition of criminals. We do not have any such treaty signed with the United States. And thank God. Snowden has not committed any crimes on the territory of the Russian Federation. There is another person in a similar situation, that's Mr. Assange, who is demanded for extradition and called a criminal, just like Mr. Snowden. He considers himself a human rights activist and fights for the freedom of information. Ask yourself a question whether anyone has to extradite such people that they are thrown into a jail. In any case, personally, I would like to not deal with such issues because it's like shearing a pig. There's a lot of squealing and little fleece. I hope that this will in no way affect the business-like character of our relationship with the United States. I hope that our partners will understand that. Mr. Snowden is a free man, and the sooner he picks his final destination, the better it will be for both him and us. Crimea have voted overwhelmingly in favour of joining Russia in Sunday's referendum. Artis Paula Slea has the latest now from the region. Um, Paula, how are the results being received? Well, there's certainly a very cheerful and festive atmosphere here in the Crimean city of Sevastopol. The latest results, almost 97% of people voting overwhelmingly in joining Russia. This was an historic referendum. The voter turnout was 83%. Now, that is two to three times the number of people who turned out to cast their ballots than the last election that was held back in 2012. Throughout the night, there have been celebrations in Simferopol, in Sevastopol, and in several other cities and regions across Crimea. Fireworks going off. Even now, in the early hours of this morning, people are walking around with the Russian flag draped over them. There are cars blaring their hooters driving down the main streets with the Russian flag waving outside them. I was speaking to one woman who said that this is the best day of her life. And as another person put it, he said they've always been Russian in their soul. And today they're returning to Russia. There's also been praise from the international observers who come here from more than 20 countries. They say that the election ran smoothly. There were no major hiccups and no reports of incidents or any kind of violation. Since the beginning of the crisis in Ukraine, the United States has worked to build a strong international coalition to support Ukraine. 
its sovereignty, its territorial integrity, its right to determine its own destiny, and to increase the pressure on Russia for actions that have undermined Ukraine's sovereignty, territorial integrity, and ability to make its own decisions. The core of that coalition is the United States and our European allies. In recent days, I've continued to coordinate closely with our allies and our partners to ensure a unified response to the shootdown of Malaysian Airlines Flight 17 and Russia's continued arming of the separatists. And I've spoken several times with Prime Minister Ruta of the Netherlands and Prime Minister Abbott of Australia. Yesterday, I had a chance to speak with Prime Minister Cameron of the United Kingdom, President Hollande of France, Chancellor Merkel of Germany, and Prime Minister Renzi of Italy. We are united in our view that the situation in Ukraine ought to be resolved diplomatically, and that a sovereign, independent Ukraine is no threat to Russian interests. But we've also made it clear, as I have many times, that if Russia continues on its current path, the cost on Russia will continue to grow. And today is a reminder that the United States means what it says. We will rally the international community in standing up for the rights and freedom of people around the world. Today, and building on the measures we announced two weeks ago, the United States is imposing new sanctions in key sectors of the Russian economy, energy, arms, and finance. To look into new data on July's Malaysian passenger plane crash over Ukraine, which killed almost 300 people. An alleged whistleblower approached the Russian newspaper saying the plane was shot down by a Ukrainian fighter jet. Rath Gaziev brings us forth. According to this source, this witness, this alleged witness, uh, he says that he worked at the Ukrainian uh, airfield from which military jets flew sorties uh, in the east of the country. He says that he witnessed three Ukrainian military jets uh, taking off on the 17th of July, the day that MH17 uh, went down. And he said that one of those jets uh, was armed with anti-air missiles. But he says when it came back, it did not have those missiles. When the pilot got out, he was visibly shaken. But the Ukrainian government has claimed that none of its jets were in the air when MH17 went down, that none of its jets blew any sorties. So uh, the Russian government released radar uh, data recording showing a presumable Su-25 uh, fighter jet, a Ukrainian Su-25 fighter jet in the vicinity of MH17 uh, when it went down. This source, though, uh, his identity remains hidden, fearing uh, revenge attacks against his family, which are still in Ukraine. We spoke to the editor-in-chief of the newspaper that published the story. The witness told us that the pilot, whose name is Captain Voloshin, was shocked, confused, and in a state of mind, he defined the passenger jet as an operational target. But the blink... There's too much secrecy regarding uh, investigations, which is not very satisfactory. I cannot understand why the Malaysian government did not ask for the black box or for the wreckage uh, that was found uh, in Ukraine. It is uh, quite uh, unusual. Uh, involvement of Malaysia is limited. 
local media has not made a full coverage. They never send any team to to uh, take pictures there or to investigate. Local media, the mainstream media, is uh, very much under the control of the government. Almost immediately after the plane was struck down, America accused Russia and then uh, applied sanctions against Russia. We, we don't accept the news like that. No. You don't accept uh, accusations against Russia? No, I don't think even the government accepts. Uh, we are very neutral about this because there is no real evidence. One of the suspects uh, of uh, the shooting down the aircraft could be Ukraine because, uh, well, they were fighting and we don't know who actually fired the missile, if it was the missile. Do you think this investigation is carried out objectively? I don't think so. I don't think so. But back to, to Gideon Rockman. He, he starts out with the question that so many of us have been asking, sometimes genuinely, sometimes rhetorically, particularly those of us who voted for President Obama and just don't, don't, don't understand why he is actually working harder at pushing the TPP than he ever did for the public option for Obamacare, which arguably would have turned Obamacare into, uh, you know, an, an insanely successfully dynamic program. Which is not to say Obamacare has not had its successes. But, you know, why is this so important to him? There are two, two issues at play here. And they both have to do with China. Gideon Rockman, oh, the, the, um, the headline is Obama's Pacific trade deal without tame China. And he opens with this question, and only it's not rhetorical. He says, why is Barack Obama so desperate? And I think that that's a reasonably appropriate word. Why is Barack Obama so desperate to secure a Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal? And then he, you know, he says, well, you know, the, the pitch, the long-winded answer, the pitch that everybody's giving is, you know, 12 countries are going to get together and trade, and it'll be just wonderful for the world and everybody else. But he says the short, real answer is China. China is not part of TPP. We have a separate agreement with China. It's called a bilateral agreement, two countries. And basically what we have given uh, China is what is referred to as uh, permanent normal trade relations which means that, you know, they can make and sell stuff and ship it into the United States with no tariffs and no restrictions, which they do. It's why you walk into any store in America and probably 95% of what you see is made in China. Meanwhile, China, which has developed a very, very sophisticated form of state-run capitalism, or state state and, and corporate capitalism, I, I'm not, there's, there's not a well-accepted term for this yet. And there should be, because this is essentially what, what you know, England was doing from the 1600s forward, uh, up until the last 100 years. You know, with the East India Company and everything, you know, it's kind of a state-sponsored corporate thing. But there's these two issues. One is economic, and the other is military. 
And China is growing so fast in both these areas. I mean, they're, they're literally taking reefs off the coast of China, pouring sand and dirt on them, turning them into military bases, which has the Japanese totally freaked out. And they're starting to claim, you know, Japanese land and, and uh, extend their territorial waters and all this kind of stuff. So there's that military thing. And then there's also the economic thing. And in fact, Shinzo Abe, the, the president of Japan, was originally opposed to involving his country in the TPP negotiations. But he finally said, yeah, okay, we'll do this. And why? Well, according to Gideon Rockman, strategic interests. We've got to stop China, says Abe, says the president of Japan. Jesuit education would consist in the creation of multiplying agents. Jesuit General Pedro Arupe, SJ. People underestimate the seductive enticements of the Jesuit network who facilitate positions of power for individuals who will stir the course of the New World Order. Presidential candidates such as Donald Trump is one such individual who received a Jesuit education at Fordham Jesuit University. Hillary Clinton is controlled by the same shadow government via a different route the military-industrial complex, Bilderberg Group, and the Council of Foreign Relations. Jeb Bush is subservient to the papacy. Ben Carson, the Seventh-day Adventist, is an enigma in the minds of many, especially the Seventh-day Adventists, who are puzzled to how a President of the United States can keep the Ten Commandments. Their beliefs, thou shalt keep the Sabbath day holy, and thou shalt not kill, banning foreign wars of conquest, these two commandments make it nearly impossible to be a U.S. president, especially with a shadow government snapping at your heels. Ex-Jesuit priest Dr. Alberto Rivera explained that the secret sign that Protestantism has been wiped out was when a president of the U.S. took his oath facing an obelisk. In 1981, the swearing of Ronald Reagan as president was moved to the west front of the capital, and he was sworn in as president facing an obelisk. Protestantism had effectually been wiped out, and the Jesuits had control of America. Candidates running for U.S. presidency know very well who must be appeased. The Roman Catholic Church and the Jesuit-influenced globalists often groom and elect presidents without the knowledge of the public as sometimes votes are often manipulated from behind the scenes as well. The mighty and widely ramified order of St. Ignatius was powerful enough to procure by interests far greater advantages to individuals than could any other corporation, fraternity, or even secular power. Jesuit General Jean Baptist Jensen. Murdoch, seen here at the Jesuit University of Georgetown, admitted his support of globalist plans of invading Iraq. Is there any agenda that you want to shape? <laughs> no, not at all. I, I, I think that um, you don't have a power to change. Obviously, if you're in media and you're concerned with what's going on in the world, you'd like to make a difference by putting forward your opinions. Um, but um, you're not going to change the world completely by that. Uh, I think we, can, we can't change elections. Uh, I think good, strong news organizations can, by disclosing things, can help 
shape the agenda, but only in a limited way. For example, take the war. Uh, has I'm not just talking about the United States, but in terms of you having a global media enterprise, and have you shaped that agenda at all in terms of perceptions of the war, in terms of how the war is viewed? No, I didn't think so. I mean, you tried. <laughs> tried in what way? <laughs> well, we basically supported yeah, our papers, and our, I would say supported uh, the Bush policy. Right. Murdoch's power over May's general election is undimmed. Right now, he is using his Sun, Times, and Sunday Times newspapers to destroy Ed Miliband as Labour continues to lead in polling. Remember, it is Murdoch's papers that chair-led the war in Iraq that cheerleads all UK foreign policy when it is in lockstep with Washington. It chair-led the bailouts after the financial crash of 2008. But it's not just his newspapers that exert a disproportionate influence on life in Britain. Books and films in Britain are de facto vetted by Murdoch because News Corps is involved in HarperCollins and 20th Century Fox. And its Sky News operation will never want to upset the interests of Murdoch as long as he is in control of the network. Globalists always have their finger on the pulse and emotions of people all over the world, especially within the United States, thanks to psychologists, social engineers working behind the scenes. Barack Obama was elected when US citizens were wearied by war and the financial crisis of 2008. People were desperate for change, and that was exactly the angle globalists sold their CIA Jesuit-trained president to America. Barack Obama was groomed for the presidency by the Jesuits, and his mentor Jesuit priest Gregory Galuzzo is still influencing Obama. And does he keep in, in contact with the organization now? You know, uh, once he became a U.S. senator, he, he's very much in demand. So it's only on occasion we get to interact with him. Well, an occasion is fine, isn't it? <laughs> Obama has appointed many Jesuit-educated individuals to positions of power. According to Obama's paternal grandmother, he was born in Mombasa, Kenya. Later, he was enrolled in an Indonesian public school as he was a citizen of Indonesia, where he learned to recite the Muzin call to prayer, a perfect Arabic accent. Obama then went to an Indonesian Franciscan Roman Catholic school. Many years after Obama moved to Hawaii, he met Frank Marshall Davis, who was a member of the Communist Party USA. Frank Davis trained Obama in Stalinist Marxism, and Obama then went to Harvard, as his fees were paid for by the father of a member of the Black Panthers, who were dedicated to a global international communist revolution. After Obama went to Chicago as a community activist, he became good friends with Bill Ayers, who was the co-founder of the Weather Underground a communist revolutionary group. Bill Ayers was on the terrorist watch list. Finally, Obama arrived at the Jesuit-run Gamaliel Foundation, where he's handpicked for his many talents and his ethnic and religious background. Uh, when you go to other countries, uh, the political divisions are so much more stark and wider. Here in America, the difference between Democrats and Republicans, uh, we're fighting inside the 40-yard line. Maybe it's... You fooled most people maybe, on that in the last few months, I'd say. No, no, but, but well, no, no, no. The, the, uh, I, I would distinguish between the, the rhetoric and the tactics. Yeah. 
versus the ideological differences. I mean, in most countries, you've got, you know, people call me a socialist sometimes, but no, you've you got to meet real socialists. <laughs> you'll, you'll have a sense of what a, what a socialist is. Um, you know, Karl Marx, as discussed earlier, only refined socialism and communism, which the Jesuits had developed in Paraguay from 1600 to 1750. This required implementing the teachings of both Plato, who wrote Plato's Republic, and Thomas More, who wrote Utopia, and the Jesuits tested their communist ideology on the South American Indians. As we have said before, the Vatican is more aligned with fascism due to the structure of nationalist militarism and the proposed amalgamation of church and state. But a different style of communism could be sufficient for the papal agenda of world domination. Sevenia Brzezinski, who had a Jesuit education, stated that he is not entirely against communism, but only the Soviet model, perhaps because this model leaves no room for religion. He discussed the circumstances in which it could be possible for the Soviet Union to rejoin the Western Marxist tradition. Note that he didn't say they would become constitutionalists and celebrate property rights and freedom, the point is, they would join with the other types of Marxists in the West, who now have positions of power, but they don't tell anyone they're Marxists. So you may now understand that Obama had exactly the right credentials to be elected president for the era of change in the mission of a capitalist, Marxist, fascist, new world order. In other words, state capitalism, with an authoritarian, yet thuggish, twist. Obama's use of cunning and indirect strategy uses a more modern form of Jesuitical tactics by conducting many assassinations by drones instead of the direct confrontational military action like the Bush-Cheney administration. Obama used the method of regime change by coup d'etat destroying the state from within, often training and funding rebels. Obama has signed unconstitutional laws into effect, like the NDAA, crafted by Jesuit-trained Professor Viet Dinh, that effectively makes it possible to detain someone without charge or trial. Your elected officials, both the Senate and the House of Representatives, have just overwhelmingly passed the National Defense Authorization Act. Squeezed into this military funding bill are two provisions that give the military not just lots and lots of money, but lots and lots of power as well through two very controversial provisions. One expands the use of military force in Afghanistan to include indefinite detention of anyone suspected of being a member of Al-Qaeda or, quote, associated forces. So, essentially, anyone. But here's the big one, folks. It gives the military the power to indefinitely detain American citizens, even those captured here in the United States. The Vatican, when she asserted power over European nations from 538 AD to 1798 AD, exerted the same tactics of indefinite detention. The U.S. government has no pangs of conscience using rectal hydration and waterboarding as a torture, extracting confessions. The very same tortures were used during the Spanish Inquisition in the 1500s by the Roman Catholic Church. So naturally, the Roman Catholic-controlled CIA brings the very same method back into play. CIA secret prisons have been exposed around the world, inflicting the heinous inquisitional forms of torture. Here's a map of countries that are complicit in the illegal detainment and torture of prisoners. Simon Perez recently stated that Pope Francis is more of a powerful peace advocate than the United Nations. So the relationship exists between the Zionist Jews and the Roman Catholic Church on many levels. 
It's the common thread of Islam makes the Vatican and Zionist Israel unlikely bed partners. Israel procures favors of national security from Jesuit proxies and U.S. government, not to mention nefarious business deals, as Jewish politicians do the bidding of New World Order advocates. Let us not forget that the Rothschilds are the guardians of the Vatican finance and treasury. Mr. Rothschild, how are you doing, sir? Can you tell us what went on at the Bilderberg meeting this year? Sorry? Can you tell us what went on at the Bilderberg meeting this year? I didn't get there last year, no. The Bilderberg? You weren't there? No. Not this year. What went on uh, last year? No, I wasn't there last year. Wasn't there last I year? I was my cousin. Your cousin was there? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do you have a couple minutes for us, Mr. Rothschild? We have a few additional questions for you. I was, I was asking a question in China because I was saying that the, uh, the Federal Reserve is one of these organizations that, I know, it's one of these organizations that a lot of people say is the source of uh, inhumane projects all across the world because it's a private bank. That was started by your family. Yeah, no, no. The I was also out there. Because it's not a religious conflict. It's purely because 
Whistleblower Edward Snowden, an employee of the National Security Agency, released sensitive information unveiling total state and international surveillance of ordinary citizens throughout the world by US intelligence agencies such as the CIA, NSA, and their allies such as the United Kingdom's MI6, Canada's CSIS, Australian ASIO, and New Zealand NZSIS. These Western intelligence agencies are more or less extensions of the Roman Catholic secret society-run CIA, who all work together on a very intimate level. Activists in Canada are ringing a democracy alarm. The government there has passed an anti-terror bill into law. The law is called C-51, but I'd call it C-1984, and here's why. The law is extremely vague. For instance, advocating terrorism, even when there's no intent to commit a crime or violent act, is an offense. But what exactly does that mean? No idea. Plus, it potentially bans all activism. You're not allowed to question or interfere in the government's affairs at all. Police, they can detain anyone they suspect of being a terrorist, and there's no need to prove a person was going to commit a crime. Intelligence services, well, they can be allowed by courts to breach people's privacy and freedom of expression. Federal departments under the law, they're allowed to share personal information. Veteran investigative reporter Seymour Hirsch has broken some massive stories in his day, but uncovering secret societies within the highest echelons of America's military would probably be the biggest of his career. Seymour Hirsch pointed out that General Stanley McChrystal, Vice Admiral William McRaven, and others in the Joint Special Operations Command were members of the Knights of Malta and Opus Dei, two little-known Catholic orders. The Knights of Malta and Opus Dei were instrumental in the war against Islam under the guise of the war on terror, thanks to 9-11 as the match that set the world ablaze. The Knights of Malta were a Catholic order founded in 1085 as a group of monks who cared for the wounded. It evolved into a military order that safeguarded Christian pilgrims from Muslims during the Nine Crusades when Europe's Christian states laid siege to Muslims for control of Jerusalem. Opus Dei popularly depicted in the Hollywood film The Da Vinci Code, was founded in 1928 and officially accepted as part of the Catholic Church in 1947. The group's website claimed their principal calling was to bring about a Christian renewal around the world. It makes good sense that the Vatican has merged with the United States and vice versa for geopolitical stratagem. What other superpower would put the Roman Catholic Church on a pedestal once the new world order has been established? China, an atheistic communist state, or Russia, where the Russian Orthodox Church is the official state religion and an historical arch enemy of the Vatican. The United States has the resources, technology, and the military might with a population of 319 million. The Roman Catholic Church, which has a local branch or church in just about every suburb in almost every country on the planet, which can easily be used for covert activities, influencing the masses and sparking revolutions. The Roman Catholic Church has 1.2 billion members. The combined military and economical might of the United States and Roman Catholic populace make these two forces unstoppable. So much, in fact, that the world has been brought into subjugation, including the 1.6 billion Muslims. The Muslims don't have either the technology or the military might, so it's not hard to guess who will come out on top. Russia and China must also be willing to accept the United States Vatican version of the New World Order. As we have seen in the merger of the Vatican and the United States, instigated by Pope John Paul II and President Reagan bringing down the Berlin Wall, hastening the collapse of the Soviet Union, 
we can see the same tactics being employed against the Chinese Communist government. Hello 開始民主、人權為主治的非政府機構例如1968年的布拉格斯春 示威的名義可以是人權、民主、政府腐敗、選舉無弊等不需要找出證據只需要找到藉口就可以 並且好似所有對政府不滿意的人加入。以武力挑釁警方迫使警方使用武力鎮壓這樣就可以使這個政府失去其他國家的支持這樣需要美國尋找一個藉口作軍事介入而武力推翻目標國家事實上這十二點亦都非常有效和成功二零零七年一位曾任北大西洋公約組織就是在五年內攻擊和推翻七個國家
，美國接住阿拉伯之春同埋反恐戰爭，呢七個國家有啲已經被推翻，有啲陷入內戰，有啲亦都已經係崩潰嘅邊緣。因此，世界局勢、國家嘅被推翻，並唔係人民作出偶然或者自發嘅行動而造成，相反係經過精心策劃同埋計算。事實上，如果要推翻一個國家，以內部革命導致崩潰嘅方式。远比出兵攻打便宜得多，亦都因此，美国不断运用呢十二个步骤去策反唔同嘅敌对国家。However, the Chinese government are aware of the power and inner workings of the Vatican. Jesuit missionaries roamed China until the expulsion of all foreign missionaries in 1949. The Chinese government reserves the right to select and approve all Roman Catholic bishops in mainland China. Which goes in direct opposition to the Vatican's wishes, and for very good reason. The Vatican is political and has influence over its subjects, instigating and facilitating revolutions. Not since the disputes in 1951 have China and the Vatican had diplomatic relations. The selection of the Roman Catholic cardinals in Hong Kong at this time is under the direction of the Vatican. Pope Benedict XVI appointed Hong Kong Bishop Joseph Senzikulin as cardinal on February 22, 2006. The Chinese government warned that church leaders should not interfere in the country's politics. Anthony Liu, or Liu Bain, is the honorary chairman of the state-run Chinese Catholic Patriotic Association, and stated that he hoped the appointment would not disrupt social stability in Hong Kong, and that Beijing's position on refraining from establishing diplomatic ties with the Vatican had not changed because of the appointment of Cardinal Zen, who is known for his outspoken appeals for maintaining diplomatic freedoms in Hong Kong. And human rights on the mainland. However, lately human rights violations perpetrated by the United States government exceed those of China. The communist government in China is well aware that the Roman Catholic Church and the United States government work together on many levels, as the CIA uses humanitarian organizations and democracy as weapons to fuel revolution. Russia has its own problems with the United States-Vatican merger. As world leaders distance themselves from Putin and slap sanctions against Russia for reasons that we'll cover later, Jesuit Pope Francis bowed down to dictator Mugabe, but on the 10th of June 2015, sent a very strong psychological message to Putin, further alienating the Russian leader. Here we see Pope Francis pathetically tapping his fingers on the desk across from Putin, psychologically coercing him to toe the line in the new world order. Jesus had stated. My kingdom is not of this world, John 18:36. So Christians should not have political ambitions. Yet the Vatican is a religio-political state trying to set up a temporal kingdom here on earth, opposed to the true Church of Christ. The Vatican has led the Western world to believe that Sunday is the same holy day revered in the Bible. The Sabbath, Saturday, is the correct day, and there is not one verse in the Bible that backs Sunday keeping. Sunday is a creation of the offshoot of the Christianity that became the Roman Catholic Church. After all ideologies, nations, and religions that challenge the Pope's power are neutralized, the Vatican will work through the United States to enforce a worldwide Sunday law. It's the beginning of a new world order religion. Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, Jews, New Age, Baha'is, atheists, and Sunday-keeping Protestants will all keep Sunday, 
which will be enforced by the state by fine, imprisonment, and even death. This act acknowledges the Pope to be the supreme ruler of Earth. Before this happens, the world will be warned with a three angels' message. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to Him. And the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him that made heaven, and earth, and the sea, and the fountain of waters. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead, or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for ever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 7, proclaim that there is only one living God, and he alone deserves that worship, not only for the creation of our planet and our wonderfully designed bodies, but for giving the human race the gift of eternal life and the iniquity of our transgressions being nailed to the cross. Revelation chapter 14, verse 8. The book of Revelation uses symbols to explain prophecy. The symbolic use of Babylon depicts the Vatican in Rome, which has disseminated her pagan doctrine to a Christian veneer. Apostle Peter even described Rome as the new Babylon. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you. And so doth Marcus, my son. Ancient Babylon was a polytheistic religion, including the worship of the sun god, which practiced on Sunday. The pure gospel was perverted, and the Roman Catholic Church was the result. Apostle Paul warned of this apostasy in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7-9. to 9. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Apostle Paul explained that error was creeping into the church, that when the Western Roman Empire came to its end, the papacy would take its place and the Pope would arise. Roman Catholicism is simply a mixture of Christianity and paganism. The same polytheistic religion of Babylon exists today within the walls of every Catholic church. The veneration of saints, which simply replaced the many Babylonian gods, Babylonian Semiramis, who became Mary, and the worship of a sun god, are all inventions of ancient Babylon. Even the statue of Peter is actually the pagan god Jupiter that was removed from a pantheon in Rome and placed in St. Peter's Basilica. The Babylonian god Utu, or Samash, became sole invictus in the Roman Empire, worshipped as the sun god on Sunday, dear Solus, the day of sun. Revelation chapter 17, verse 5, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Mystery Babylon can be understood in this dictionary definition. Mysteries, the secret rites of Greek and Roman pagan religion, or of any ancient or tribal religion, to which only initiates are admitted. The practices, skills, or law peculiar to a particular trade or activity, and regarded as baffling to those without specialized knowledge. Revelation chapter 17, verses 5, explains that this mystery of religion appears in the guise of Christianity, 
It really is Babylonian paganism, understood by high-ranking cardinals and Jesuits. Mother of harlots means that the Roman Catholic Church has harlot daughters and these unfaithful offspring have been seduced by Babylonian doctrine. Sunday-keeping Protestants came out of the Mother Roman Catholic Church during the Reformation and clung to Sunday worship. Interesting enough is that the Vatican minted coins depicting herself, just as the Bible predicts. Revelation chapter 17 verse 4 And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet colour, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. The cup that the woman is holding has sun in it, depicting her fornication with the Babylonian religious sun worship or Sunday keeping instead of the Christian Sabbath. Purple and scarlet, also referring to Revelation chapter 17 verse 4, can be seen in the colours of priestly garments. Revelation chapter 14 verse 8 tells all people in this Babylonian system of deception to come out of her. Revelation chapter 14 verse 9 And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. Firstly, a beast in prophetic language as a kingdom explained in Daniel chapter 7 verse 23. Since we have established the papacy as this beast, what is her mark? Sunday is our mark or authority. The church is above the Bible. And this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. The Catholic Record of London, Ontario, September the 1st, 1923. The Sunday is purely a creation of the Catholic Church. American Catholic Quarterly Review, January 1883. Sunday is the law of the Catholic Church alone. American Sentinel Catholic, June 1893. The Fourth Commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Even after the death and resurrection of Christ, the apostles kept the Sabbath, Saturday, and taught and founded all churches with the inclusion of the fourth commandment. The early churches which Okay. Anyways, there's absolutely no way of documenting that. That's a lie. Part of the Seventh-day Adventist nonsense. Let's see. And of course, they think it's going to be Sunday. And of course, I'll stop here. Let's see, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. So it's actually really good until it gets here. Unfortunately, then he starts putting in there too much of his religious bias. And unfortunately, let's face it, you know, he has a right to do that, but I don't have to promote it. First part of it, first two hours of it were very good. Gave me a little break. Take a break. Exhausted. Oh, my gosh. If you're there, Andrew, um, sorry for not answering the phone call. Appreciate you calling. You can always call back if you're there. You can call me back. Uh, now I'm now around to answer it. Um, 
that. Let's see. Uh, yeah, the thing is about... That's all great stuff, so... Anyways, you know, if they think, if they want to believe in something, and is there part that's just practicing a form of dispensational futurism? The fact of the matter is, the mark of the beast is already here. Most of us are already bearing it. If you want to look at what the mark of the beast actually is, just look at all the nuts, whack jobs going nuts over, uh, are going crazy over Pope Francis. Uh, of major forms, and this uh, whole form of uh, the Church of Nicolaitan, no, the Nicolaitans, whatever they're called, uh, or the, the priest class, priestcraft, dominate rule over uh, the laity, and the fact of the matter is, God finds that an abomination hates it. Once again, it's man for man worship when you have the man and the and the uh, standing there behind the pew telling you how you're supposed to live. Uh, and particularly that you have to go to a church either on Saturday or Sunday or any other day of the week. Because the only difference between the two and the end of the day is that the Sabbatarians actually uh, attack Rome, but then they're going to attack Rome is because it's Sunday or Saturday of all. Not because of the fact that we're all being enslaved by it. Not because of the fact that this institution is responsible for even all the slain upon the earth, as the scripture says. All the slain. This, this, this institution is responsible not only for the death of the prophets, but also the saints. And this whole trap about what day of the week you're supposed to worship God, well, I argue that the Seventh-day Adventists and you've ever been to Seventh-day Adventist church, church that paid attention, you realize there's not much difference than any other church. They're just there on, they just go to church on Saturday. And they argue about not having to work on Saturday. Most people don't have to work on Saturday anyways. Either you're a slave like the rest of us, and you have to work every day of the week, you don't have a choice in the matter. Or you have a halfway decent job already, and you're allowed Saturday and Sunday off already. But most of us, we don't even get that option, period. It's just a load of crap. A load of deception. And it says something seriously about the state of church and how it's all, all of it is being controlled by Rome. But the Seventh-day Adventists, even the Seventh-day Adventists, those will admit, especially those that are on the outside, will admit that Jesus doesn't control that. So, anyways, important thing in all this is just forget about your religious bias and all that and remember that uh, the biblical historical prophetic antichrist, Pope Francis, the image of the beast, the true image of the beast, the United States is meant. I mean, let's face it, people are bowing down to Obama when he shows up. They might cater him when he goes on his world tours, but 
no more than any other politician in any other place. Maybe a little more so, but not enough, not, nothing compared to what uh, Pope Francis gets or the Pope uh, Benedict got or Pope John Paul II got, and etc. He is truly the image of the beast. He is the image of the Roman Empire. He is the image of the false religion. He is the false prophet. In all these religions, it turns out, including some day Adventists, this whole argument about a Sabbatarian argument that is pushed upon us, and find its roots in reality, tracing back not only to Freemasonry, but to the Jesuits as they use this to divide and conquer the Reformation because the Reformation reformers were all about sola scripture. Saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and sola scripta and that the biblical, historical, prophetic antichrist is the papacy. That's what united everybody. Then basically the Jesuits, for that was their calling and their job to do, through the Counter-Reformation, splintered the Reformation into a million points of light. A little bit of exaggeration there. Okay, we'll say 30,000 points of light. Enough to demonstrate that the church is absolutely, utterly, utterly disarray, disarray, confused, baffled, and whacked. The only thing I I, I very dis- disappointing in all this is uh, especially listening to this in the importance of the message is unfortunately that people have to throw their religious bias in and say that the Sabbath day and that the Sunday is the, is the mark of the beast when it actually doesn't say that specifically it's a Sunday. So the mark of the beast we just told you, is the you know is a man the name, the name of man. That's the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is that you worship man and not God. That's the mark of the beast, you idiots. That's not day of the week. We keep saying over and over again, Jesus, Paul was explaining in the New Testament, we are not to judge men on Sabbath, new moons, feast festivals, etc. And all the shadows, things come. You know what? The man is talking about works again, dummies. Oh, what a Sabbath. Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. They didn't have Jesus Christ back then. They had, now we have Jesus. Yeshua the Messiah, you morons. You religious nincompoops. By the way, I was one of them a year ago, so I have a right to say that because I was one of them. Religious nincompoops 
you're novice, you think once you find out about the, the papacy, that now you, 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 and you, you learn it from the, the something Adventist, that, oh, you must have found the true, the true church, the only true Protestant church out there. Moronic. Don't even go past, you need to start studying for yourselves. Stop listening to all the false teachers out there about what the scriptures say. And read it yourself and study what the reformers were saying as a whole, an entirety. Listen to many different commentators. If you need to, think it through. Figure it out. And in the end of the day, if you think that that's what you want to do in order to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, go right ahead. Because you know what? It's not my job to judge you about new moons, feasts, festivals, and etc. Sabbaths. But I will tell you this. When you hear people talking about the blood moons and feasts and festivals and Sabbaths, and they try to get you to follow that, I warn you, don't do it. They've been wrong every single time. Every single time? Without exception. Forget about Shnitas. Forget about all the laws of the past. Forget about the laws that, that Israel was under. As much as you want to think that you have some kind of right to reestablish what God established back then. I'm talking about the Old Testament, the Old Testament law, Torah, and etc. You're wrong. You don't have a right at all to do that. Man didn't establish that. God did. It was right over your heads, wasn't it? Right over your heads. What well, we're supposed to do about that? I tell you what you're supposed to do about that. What it says they're supposed to do about that in the New Testament. Develop yourself some abiding faith in Jesus Christ. What does that mean, folks? That means you put your faith in Jesus Christ, not in your works, not in your abilities. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean now that we can go out and steal or do everything else? Stop being a moron. Grow up. Honestly, grow up. Will you grow up, not only mentally, but emotionally? Will you grow up? You'd be man enough that if you bear somebody, that you can hang out with somebody and disagree? It's right over your head again. Oh, but I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I know I might seem like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm acting like a kid again. But I believe in Jesus Christ. No, you don't. You believe in yourself and you believe in what your knowledge is. 
Abiding faith in Jesus Christ, folks. Take that down. Bring it back into your eyes. Put it in your ears. And believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ what he did for you. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. He will know that you're putting your faith in him. If you're praying to him, if you're putting all of your life your energy to him. Don't know that. And by the way, he's not going to find it in the church that you're at. See, he's not going to find it in the group that you're at. Yeah. He's going to find it in your heart and in your soul and your mind. See, you can't buffalo Jesus Christ. You can't buffalo God. I think you can. You think, oh, maybe I could uh, make my do my works and I can solve things that way. I could prove to God that I'm serious. Do you really believe that? If you believe that, you're very much as as fine as may say a novice. You don't know what you're talking about. You might know an awful lot about book learning, things in books. And by the way, it's important to read books. Reading books is very important. But that's not the same thing as having and developing abiding faith in Jesus Christ. You know what I know a person is about having a body faith in Jesus Christ? is going to come out of my people. And that means not only the Roman Catholic Church, but it means all your other apostate churches. Uh, although Roman Catholic uh, agree with uh, Dave, uh, it's always been a fallen and false church. There, there you can't even fall. There's, there's always been a false satanic church. So, um, but you think that you think, doesn't it? If that has been always fallen or a post, not apostate, but a false church, what makes you think your church is any different? You think that through? Could be that through? Oh, you know, I like the people in my church. That's the reason why you go, folks. You go to that church not because you have abiding faith in Jesus Christ. You go to that church, that building, that group because you like the pastor or you like the group. You're in love with 666, the number of man. It's much deeper and greater than Pope Franny. Now go back to it, the image. Tell me uh, any other image that is more renowned, universal throughout the planet than Pope Franny. Or Pope Benedict. Or Pope anybody. Prior to the Pope, what was the Caesar? And who do we hear about all the time? We hear about Nero. Or Julius Caesar. Or Augustus Caesar. 
Don't we? You're all the time. History? It's, uh, uh, history. Heck, they even have Little Caesar's Pizza. Pretty soon, well, if they could get away with it, at least they would have Little Pontiff's Pizza. Maybe they do something. I don't know. Uh, it's right in front of your face, people don't even pay attention. So, anyways, how, why is it so important the next today and the next couple of days is is because not because all of a sudden the country is now run and controlled by Rome. It has been for a long time. What it is is a, a symbol. Uh, it is representation of the next ramping phase of the new world order, and is demonstrating to the rest of the world. That the papacy, the Pope, has the might of America by its side, backing it up. I don't know if anybody will ever listen to me about any of this stuff. I doubt it. Oh well. I do it for you, Jesus. I don't do it for them. So, um, yeah, it's funny because. Uh, Common sense, that's all it takes, folks. Just use your two, your, your, your God-given senses. Can you do that? Will you do that? Stop listening to your contemporaries, Jesuit-trained contemporaries. Stop listening to all the nonsense that's out there. Biding faith in Jesus Christ. I will email with address to give to Dave to ship up to you. Okay. I will email address to give to Dave. If that's oh, hey, uh, Andrew, um, Dave McGowan. He's in bad shape. I don't know if you pay attention to my show. What I've been saying. He's going to Maui with his three daughters. He's got very short time to live. Would not be surprised if within the week or within the month that uh, he'll be dead. He'll be passed on. So um, I don't think that Dave would be doing too much shipping of books on his end anymore. So probably going to have to buy it through Amazon at this point. Or you can still try to do it via through thinkorbebeaten.com. Of course, we're talking about that book that she wanted to give me. And if you can't get it, you can't get to me. So uh, we're seeing some of, of uh, the canyon. So yeah, you probably don't know if you paid attention right now. But. Anyways, I should end this. Um. Maybe I, was, I don't know what I'm going to do. I wanted to do a big old marathon today about uh, a Pope's visit and uh, reading that popery and or, or you know uh, William Hogan's book. But I, I'm just too tired. I had to take a nap. Actually, I had to get things done today, and then by the time it's done, I was just exhausted. So, anyways, with that, God bless and take care. Remember, put your faith in Jesus Christ, not man.
you'd be going a long ways. All right. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 